Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and Marvel week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today's triple header sees the most recent issues of Hellions and Strange Academy, as well as the debut of Tom Taylor and Iban Coelho's Dark Ages. First up, Hellions number 15 finally gives us the chimeras we've been waiting on for so long. They also pay off the incredible promise of the Locust File from back in the pages of Ten of Swords, and Zeb Wells has been crafting a narrative around such despicable, unlikable characters, many of whom seem poised to take a big part in Inferno by John Hickman. So I couldn't be more excited about where this title is going. And speaking of excitement, we had Ash from X of Words on in this segment, bringing his brilliant perspective about X-Men to our show as well. I want to thank Arturo so much for setting that up, guys. We hope you enjoy this next segment. And if you like what you hear, hopefully you like what you see. So don't forget to check us out over on YouTube, Patreon, and Twitter at X is for Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we examine comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hello, it's me, Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A, and I don't have an Instagram. Hello, I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And today we have a very special guest. Hi, hello. My name is Ashley. You can find me on Twitter at Van the First. That's V-A-N-T-H-E-F-I-R-S-T. Or alternatively, X of Words, which is X-O-F-W-R-D-S. You know, I love that in order to be an X-Men fan, you have to be really ready to spell a lot. Like, <laughs> it's actually a requirement. It's in the teams. It's half of the characters because it's always like M this or I guess there's just M. But, you know, I'm so excited to have another voice on the show. One of the most exciting things about the intention of fandom, right, is this notion of shared experience and this idea of how we all kind of have the same obsessive hardcore need. I just edited an interview with Ariana Mar available here on X's for Podcast. And one of the things that Ariana Mar said was that while it does seem like a lot of comic book creators are getting diagnosed with ADHD out of nowhere, it actually kind of makes sense that for the first time in the history of the industry, a bunch of people who are obsessively drawn to a single idea that they want to spend all of their time on have enough time to go to the doctor and are maybe getting help. It kind of tracks, but it, it sort of reminded me of all of the weird, unique, specialized elements that that make fandom so unique around the world. And, you know, Ash, it sounds to me, perhaps, like you're not also from the Jersey Shore. So I feel like we might have slightly different, it's very different Brightons, you know what I mean? I have Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, and you have, you know, (laughs) Brighton. So I want to know, how did you get into X-Men? What drew you to the Collective X? Ooh, I think it was... 
Prodigy. So good, so good. You have great taste. I love the <laughs> I can't even attribute it to good taste, really. Firstly, I, I totally agree with you about the ADHD thing. I think there's like, in my mind, there's this split between uh, and the episodic nature of comics, but then the long-term narrative that allows you to hyper-focus, but never too much at any one given time, which means that you can serve your obsession without burnout, which I always liked. No, no I, I just, I love everything you're saying. It's like a dial-inable obsession. Like you can pick it up and put it down as needed and grab other parts of the obsession when you need. Yeah, yeah, without the tedious, singular, sit down and do this for eight hours thing. But I, I think there was that. But then there was also um, Prodigy, who is my my dad's namesake. So my dad's name is actually David Elaine. Oh, wow. Because like for a second, I was like, your dad is named Prodigy, your dad wins. <laughs> Is that like a common name over on the other side of the pond? Is just like everybody prodigy? Because then I'm going there. <laughs> I mean, prodigy action. Well, you've heard of the band. He definitely thinks he's that interesting. Man, so I do want to take your dad's picture. Take his picture. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> You so have it's a prodigy, so I had to go with prodigy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, his, his name is David Elaine, so I remember that I was kind of into Ultimate X-Men for a while, but that was all kind of a blur. But then I do remember, like, Lightning, the time when I was young and picked up a comic and it was David Elaine in there, and then that became, that became like, the, the dive-in part. Um, and then it's just been X there and out. Man, I sing the praises of Christina Weir and Nunzio DeFilippis's New Mutants Volume 2 and New X-Men Academy X on a near-daily basis. Mm. I just sat down with Jonah last night to explain to him a little bit more about Young Avengers proper volume two, but kind of technically volume three because of the one shot from the Children's Crusade where Prodigy goes up and joins the Young Avengers. And what a defining character he was for me coming into my own ex and coming into my own fandom. I would love to know. I know this isn't exactly a Prodigy podcast, but it is fucking now. So Arturo, Steven, are you guys big Prodigy guys or do you kind of draw the line at, as we've pointed out, smack my bitch up? Oh, Firestarter. You could like Firestarter. I like Prodigy a lot. Not the band so much as I used to maybe quite a few years ago. Yeah, no, Prodigy's a great character. I always liked Prodigy. I felt like they were kind of the star in some ways for me of the New Mutants Academy X or New X-Men Academy X. You know that book. I love those kids so much, Prodigy included. And they, honestly, those poor bastards, they never had a chance. They went through so much shit. Like all all the New Mutant classes go through their fair share of shit. But very few of them, you know, get as exterminated as this class was by the purifiers and just like they went through so much shit. And it's it's so good to see Prodigy or to see David like on Krakoa doing stuff even, you know, after the cancellation of X-Factor. Like we see him pretty much on the verge of solving everything in the trial of Magneto already. Like he's a great character. And there's so many other characters from that class that I wish we could see and, and have, you know, on Krakoa right now, Surge and Hellion. I'm looking at both of you. David must be so annoyed to see that Elixir is like one of the godlike mutants that... <laughs> Oh my god, I just imagine David and Nori sitting there getting angrier and angrier and angrier. It's just very funny to me. I I think David is really cool about it. And, you know, it's been such a great time for all of those kids, whether it's the beautiful pages of X Factor, which, I, you know, there is not a single moment where we do not all have to pour one out for our boneyard homies, because... We're going to find a way to mention X Factor every episode till Marvel brings it back. And, you know, we got to see Sophia thrive there. We got to see Prodigy thrive there. Of course, that was a book for thriving. And I think where X Factor was a book about thriving and learning to survive after death, I think Hellions is a book a little bit more about dying and dying badly. 
And that is one of the things that was so fascinating about those two books launching next to each other, that Hellions and X-Factor were pretty close together in their inception. I find myself fascinated by the sort of intentional ugly of Hellions to make a sort of weird comparison. It's a very Nico comparison, but fuck it, I'm allowed to. I'm me, you know? So Janet Jackson and Tori Amos both released albums sort of about uh, emotional self-hate around the same time. Tori Amos in 1996 with Boys for Pele and Janet Jackson in 1998 with The Velvet Rope. And I bring up these two records in particular because they're two records that are best described by their creators as about the ugly in, in ourselves, about confronting hideous things about ourselves that we don't necessarily like. And I mean, they do them over pop beats. Caught a Light Sneeze would go on to reach number one, as would the remix of Professional Widow and, of course, Together Again by Janet Jackson, one of the most recognizable singles in the history of the world, quite literally, right? So we can talk about beautiful albums that represent the ugly inside of us, right? Uh, pretty easily, but comics are a little bit harder, especially teen comics. This comic is really about addressing the problematic nature in good people and the very seldom good nature in problematic people. Ash, one of the things that I find most fascinating about this title is you kind of have to not like yourself to like it a little bit. How do you feel about this sort of reflexive darkness that permeates Hellions page after page? I think it's totally representative of the characters. I think they've got a roster there of people who have been defined by death and whose character growth comes through it, whether it's theirs or other people's. And I think like the arc that I've been watching in Hellions is characters who have died or killed and what that taught them about themselves and how they relate to other people. It, it, it's just been wild and different, uh, maybe not even dying per se, but different levels of suffering. The romance that blossomed between between Grey Crow and... I'm saying that right? Grey Crow? Grey Crow? Who's it's crow. You, I mean, you kind of want to say it like, like, go Great unclassy. You're Great a little rap. too classy, right? So just like, just tamp <laughs> it down a little bit. Dream less big. It's like Grey Crow. You know what Great I mean? Crow. Grey yeah. Crow's face is just killing me in this issue. It's just heartbreaking. And whenever Ash talks, it just sounds fancy. I get that sort of warm vibe that I get whenever characters are like having a conversation on something British that I vaguely don't understand, right? <laughs> like the second series of Skins where I'm watching it and I'm like, I don't know when it became about the adults, but now it's about these adults and I don't know what's happening because they all talk about like, you know, the British equivalent of Mama Got Tax Problems. So I definitely... I definitely get it. Hellions, it's just a book about different types of suffering, but characters that have to grow out of that suffering because actually they don't, they're not at home anywhere else. They're defined by or they're immersed in or they understand themselves by suffering. So Empath, who, you know, is un only understands dealing suffering to other people. Canon, who was trained as an assassin, who's very much the same. And Grey Crow, you know what I mean? And people whose powers or their psychology or their histories have bound them to this concept of pain and, and that's how they learn. I, I think you bring up a really good point. And I think even as this series has gone and it seems... Like the team is gelling a bit more than maybe any of us ever expected. Certainly from like the first solicits when we were all saying, what the fuck? Nanny and Orphan Maker are on a, are on a team with Empath. Like, this and Nanny and Orphan Maker have the most personal drama. It's the best thing I've like, ever read. Like this team never made sense. And, and it is surprising like how much they have kind of come together and the like the bonds and the fellowship that's definitely being established. I think Grey Crow 
Scarecrow is a great, you know, and he was a standout character in this issue because he probably maybe one of the worst people on the team, you know, going in, right? Like he had the mutant massacre on on his resume. Like that's pretty horrible. Him and and Gambit. he is maybe the most redeemed character for me personally of this series. I mean, Conan as well. Like Conan is just what Zeb Wells has done with Conan going out of Fallen Angels to right now is just, you know, worthy of a Pulitzer. But Conan aside, Grey Crow is for me like the one that I didn't have any attachment to going in. And I just really love him. He's like so brotherly and cool with like with Kai and with Alex and his budding you know infatuation with Conan is so cool like he he's feels a in a way he in a way feels kind of like he's become the heart of the team and then yeah. for him to have his own heart kind of ripped out in this issue and just his like violent you know response to it was just so dope the, definitely a big highlight he kind of exemplifies pretty much like the purpose of this book and and what we're doing as like an exercise towards redemption and how much these characters can actually grow and not to be like uh pushy in a way that might not be attractive but i think gray crow provides something really necessary there aren't enough you know native american x-men right people tend to point to the same three or four characters sort of ad nauseum and they're like but look there's your representation and no that is not your representation that's step one and now let's get more gray crow already had enough history and we redeem villains all the time the x-men can't stop redeeming villains like my favorite gay couple in the x-men is kane marco and black tom cassidy and like that's that's the evil meets slightly dumber evil so like it's one of those things where it's hard to love the x-men without wanting the bad guys to become good and this opportunity to take a character that represents an underserved undervalued and underappreciated minority and statistically minorities by x-men at higher rates because we feel more connected to a sense of outsiderdom I just think if Zeb Wells was going to take the time to invest in a character of this lot, you know, I'm I'm a Latin man. I don't really need to see empath redeemed ever. Thank you. I don't need it. Right. But like Grey Crow moves. And yet, and yet. <laughs> eh, eh, I was more impressed by Fabian Cortez in way of X5 still. So like... Okay. Well, that's, I would just keep that. I would keep that to myself if I were you. So now, Steve, I got to know. We're talking about hearts of teams and, you know, I do think I agree with Arturo that, you know, Conan, yes, they did a beautiful job, but she was almost a foregone conclusion. She was long overdue this redemption. What, which dude's redemption do you do, do redemption do, do? Honestly, my favorite parts of this whole issue were uh, Grey Crow's faces. He broke my heart a million times and it's like, yeah, I mean, like Inferno is one of my favorite crossovers and like Grey Crow was like the scariest, most vicious, evil dude at that time. Yeah, it's crazy how like in Hellions 15, I'm I'm looking at I'm taking little screenshots of his face and thinking about sending them to Caleb. And I'm just like, look at this man. Look at this man. He's he's doing the little Anakin and Padme meme, you know, where she's yes, like, yes. right. He's going right? through it. Yes, he's yeah, he's going so through it. And just like his how upset he was. And like, also, I didn't know that he was 
like a skeleton on the other on the yes, one side. Like that was a crazy that's thing. The part, yes, that's what I want to talk about. Like again, we've yeah, got what? we've got Jorge Antonio on as artist with Rain Corretto on color. And I think Jorge Antonio is the first person in this character's entire publication history to kind of like really show us how his power looks and works. And it's a little gruesome. There's something like a little like body horror and just weird about it i thought it was so cool that his like that his arm and his leg were left like a little more skinny and emaciated when he makes this big hunking gun like that was for me like the best little sequence because i know what his powers are but they always seem a little inelegant you know it's always like okay he's got a big gun and he ripped it you know he pulled it from his his chest or whatever but this like assembling the gun clicking it together was just it just blew me away. It was I was really not cool expecting the Lego mercenary. It, it was cool to show us exactly how much like that literally took out of him for that yeah. large time. Yeah. And I love that it makes him so physically different than Forge because we wind up in this sort of position where characters of similar cultures tend to get kind of lumped together. And it was kind of unfortunate that we've had two native men who both have robot parts. But this definitive difference, this choice to give us a very different visual interpretation is the kind of exploration that I really love that Hellions is giving us. Of course, I do need to point out, I got so excited about talking about this book with you guys that I kind of forgot to say, we're talking about Hellions number 15, written by Zeb Wells, with art, as already mentioned, by Rohe Antonio, Rain Barreto, of course, our precious Ariana Mare, who, please check out our recent interview paneling, A Conversation with Ariana Mare, where you can find out just how she got on this title. She actually gives us an amazing little uh, backstory about how she got put on Hellions. And that's really cool. Of course, Tom Muller has been doing design on this book forever. But it is of note that Ariana is not just given credit for lettering. She's given credit for production. And I do think that even does go to the heart of what makes this book so special. I feel like the letters and the sound effects and the stylization of this title is a huge element of what makes it so severe. There's places where I feel like we kind of maybe overlook that it's a very dry background because there's so much going on we don't need that much in the background and of note this is also a fill-in artist i'm just really overwhelmingly impressed with hellions number 15 now you know we're talking a lot about gray crow i just need to make sure we talk about the other son of a bitch we gotta get to I love him. I love him. But I feel like this has to be a very bad day for my precious Nathaniel. Van, or Van, that's your Twitter name. You are Ash. Give me a moment. I'm having a stroke. Very good time. Reset. Rewind. Okay. Ash, are you a sinister guy? Are you not a sinister guy? Where do your sinister allegiances sinisterly lie? <laughs> like lovely gowns. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely gowns, beautiful gowns. Oh, Aretha. Lovely cape, beautiful cape. Beautiful Um, cape. But to be honest, I've never really been that much of a Nathaniel Essex guy. But just over the okay, wait, wait. But just over the last two years, how can you not have fallen in love with him? Uh, He's he's campy. He's campy campy. as fuck. He's the funniest person on any page, always. Yes. Okay. So I will say, I will say, historically, I haven't been a massive uh, sinister guy because I felt he. Firstly, I'm kind of over. Summer's nepotism. I think that's pretty well known. Uh, my position on that, and he just fueled it with his constant obsession with uh, Jean's womb. It was really weird. 
Yeah, he oversexualizes a teen boy's junk way too hard. Yeah, like, get get a better hobby. So I, I feel like them decoupling him from this, there's been amazing character growth in Hellions, and he seems incredible, but... And he's, he's hilarious in terms of like um, comic comic beats. He's incredible, but he's just not getting any of the growth for me. And so as much as I'm a fan of the voice that he has, it kind of feels like he's the he's the antagonist through which everybody else is growing. That's fair. I, that, and, that's totally fair. And it makes sense because Sinister was like one of the people that were on the council that you were like, wait a minute. Like Apocalypse became more justifiable than Sinister. Yeah. It's a weird thing to say, but he's hilarious. I think in terms of his humor and how funny it is to read him, he's exponentially increased. But in terms of character development and character growth, I haven't seen that same level. I don't root for him in any way at all. So oh, but I, you got to vote for, yeah. you got to you gotta be rooting for Chimera. You got to be rooting for Sinister a little bit. Because like the things he's doing are disturbing, right? Don't get me wrong. But like anybody here a Stargate fan? <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a fan, but I'm familiar. Wow. How sad for, and I mean the show, not the producer. But so Stargate, they're, the main bad guys are these things that go all old and they're brain controlling worm things, right? But then there's these other things, these other bad guys, the replicators. And the replicators are basically gray goo. They're little spider robots that are made up of nanites that construct larger machines. And they're sort of the secondary antagonists throughout the entire show. I bring this up because the thing that makes them so fucking interesting is that they're never really the primary antagonist. Because if they were the primary antagonist, we would lose. And I feel like that's one of the things that has kept Sinister so interesting all of these years. If Sinister ever truly were the primary antagonist, Antagonist. Just the last time Sinister decided he was done with everybody, he created the legacy virus. You know what I mean? So I feel like as much as I do love Sinister, I get how he's hard to root for. You have to really enjoy a specific kind of genocidal terrorist to really sink into the meat of the man. Well, no, but I, I'll say this. I'll say this. Like, uh, I just well, like him on page. Exactly. And the thing about Sinister is where where Apocalypse has been redeemed, where, you know, obviously Magneto is is more of an antihero than, than a villain, you know, these days for sure. And so many other examples. Uh, Sinister is one that you know in your core he is never going to actually be redeemed like we we've already seen moira's life where things are going honky-dory and sinister betrays everybody so there is no dear evan apocalypse for sinister even as we feel like he's on side with us right now there's this inevitability to sinister this you know this fuckery to him that i think is just it's it's interesting it's more interesting than you know a ton of the other shit happening on Krakoa. Yeah, I I just and Chimera. Like I could not be more excited about Chimera. So, you know, I if we want to get into the issue and the Chimera form of it all. I, I'm very frightened of Sinistarn. That's that's what I'll say. Sinistarn! I, I saw that and I was like, no. And I I'm probably most surprised that he's not a traditional mutant Chimera. Like this first Chimera is not it's not like I'm trying to think even the right way to put it. It's not like he took Gene and Scott and made a cable. He took 
an other world because yeah technically i think chimeras have been the that, right? around forever right we've been there right just give it a disease and make it friends with domino so you know this guy is part tarn who very not human and part sinister who i don't know what sinister can even call his baseline genetic code anymore sinister is one of those things where he's so unrecognizable from his first appearance it's kind of like andy on parks and rec you're just like i accept that you're telling me it's the same actor right so i'm I, this is just not what i thought chimera was going to be but i am here how do you guys feel about the first chimera being this very not mutant chimera well i mean it's just like the whole locust vial is so their hope so they're amazing. Their power sets are so, it almost feels a little Morrisonian, like it, it's a little bit Grant Morrison kind of vibe to some of these abilities, uh, like this whole amino fetus and the the cycle, uh, what is it, the damnation cycle, and then the infants come, the enders of all, the infants do not feed on life, but strands of time, and so the universe finds annihilation, like this is some it's heady like ugly ver- yeah. shit, this isn't plasma blasts and and, and, you know, and tele- telepathy. This is like... It's like Planet Size. Yeah. It's like some of the stuff we saw in Planet Size, but it's the ugly version. It's the ugly art. It's the boys for Pele. It's also more black hole villains on top of the Phalanx and Dormammu and, you know... Oh, wow. I hadn't even thought of it that way. Yeah, it's it's really, really interesting. So this as a starting point for Chimera is not at all what I, do, I think any of us could have ever expected because, you know, we, we've we met Rasputin the Fourth and North and Cardinal and those were very easy to see and conceptualize and be like, oh my God, we're just going to be making amalgamation new mutants and they're going to be legit characters? Fuck yeah, let's go. And that's not where we're starting. We're starting with the locust vial and and sinistarn and it's uh it's strange but i'm i'm so excited about it weirdly i i kind of thought it was perfect um i didn't expect it i'm, I'm it's exactly in the same sort of boat as you guys where it wasn't exactly the angle i thought we were going to come into the issue from but when i saw it i was like that's perfect because you know previously before, as we got into i can't even remember what issue is and i thought firstly i don't know how you guys are doing this sort of encyclopedic recall of issues and runs because i can barely remember my birthday um <laughs> but disclosure i've got the issue open in front of me right, i will also you. point out i lack necessary social skills to interact with people in a regular setting this is what i've got ah <laughs> 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 that got very much more deep than uh, than I anticipated. I'm always um, very real. Uh, well, I, I love you. I love you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I feel and pretty- you, you're smashing this one. As far as Pete, as far as interpersonal interactions goes, you, you, you're killing this one. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was perfect. I thought it, this was intuitive because uh, remember when Sinister wanted Franklin's DNA when he was kind of plotting on all the Omegas, and when I saw that. I was like, what is going to be the scope? How is he going to control these mutants that he wants to make? But actually to see that the first Chimera is a power grab for Nathaniel, that to me made sense. I was like, oh, so the only reason he cares about Chimeras and the only reason this becomes a thing into the future is that it presented itself as an opportunity for him to attain godhood. And I was like, right, it was completely self-serving. That's how we got here. Okay. Because in the far-flung future, when you see all these Chimera mutants that are being built to to defend mutantdom and if you know, defend mutants and try to ensure their survival long term. It always, there was always like a little bit of a wrinkle in my head. I was like, why would Sinister have done something that was so utilitarian? Because it's definitely not altruistic. So utilitarian is, you know, hammerhead nose hit. Absolutely. Ash, can I ask you a question actually about that? Yeah, sure. So 
We know that chimeras and Sinister's work with them in the breeding pits of Mars were the cause of collapse in a few of the previous Moira lives, yes? We didn't at that time have any idea because it had not yet been written, but we didn't know that the reason Sinister gets to create chimeras is because of an accidental mishap during the Ten of Swords tournament. So does that mean the Ten of Swords tournament occurred in those other lives? Did Arako come back in those other lives? Because, I mean, we know that's not the case in the life where Moira is the Genesis figure to Apocalypse, or seemingly so. But the kids were back already, I right? can answer this. Hold on. In that life, we saw Moira and Apocalypse surrounded by his original <laughs> four horsemen that we later right, met right. in Ten of Swords. So, yeah, Ten of Swords happens in at least one of the other lifetimes. Well, do, do we know that Ten of Swords happens? It, we have, do we, well, do we, we don't know. Okay. Yeah, so right. I'm we gonna, don't know if Ten of Swords happens, but we know I'm that about this. the Iraqi are drawing Krakoa and and yeah. Apocalypse is reunited with his children, the Four Horsemen. So, so Kevo has come to me with a bunch of things on what if, because, you know, we're watching what if, and he'll be like, okay, but then how did this still happen? And I'm like, Moon Dragon did it wearing the Serpent Crown. And Kevo's like, I have no idea what that means. And I'm like, but it doesn't fucking matter. Like, it, it, like, it matters, and I want to see it, but I feel like if we ever brought this up to them, their first response would be, uh, okay, it happened. And we'd be like, great, tell us. And they'd be like, uh, okay. Uh, in this <laughs> life, it was, uh, because you see, it was Apocalypse, and he, uh, he fought on the moon. Uh, and you're like, you know, they'd come up with it, because I, I'd never thought about that before. And like, I'm so fucking fascinated. I want to know what Nine of Swords was, and I want to know what Eight of Swords was, because that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pretend they relate to the number of lives, and I'm going to pretend that in her first life, it was the One of Swords, and in her second life, it was the Two of Swords. And Sorry, what... the Eight of Swords. <laughs> no, it is the One of Swords, because I don't remember it being called Moira's Ace Life. So, <laughs> check it. Ace Life. And, you know, it's really funny that we're talking about all of this because I think it's Hellions 5 or Hellions 6, whichever one is the first part of the Ten of Swords crossover. It opens with that really stunning reinterpretation of the first page of House of X, only it's empath and it's gross. And it's by Carmen Canero. And one of the things that I think is so interesting about that moment being in that book is Hellions is a title that doesn't misuse its guest artists. It's a title that really leans into them. That the whole Locus Vial thing is not in Segovia issues, which means it's unlikely Segovia designed Tarn, which means if this sinister, you know, if Sinistarn becomes important, this is a sort of synergistic interpretation of sharing art duties across multiple visionaries. And I think that's part of what makes this book so dynamic is how readily able to interact with other artists, Zeb Wells seems to be able to make his work. And the fact that in this most recent issue, you know, it's Canero on the first issue, but in this most recent one, it's Rohe Antonio. Rohe has done such a good job of picking up Segovia's threads. Like all these characters, this feels like a Hellions book. I said this when we covered 14. It just, there's no, you know, whiplash like, oh, what's what's going on? The new artist on Marauders. I love the new art on Marauders, but I know it was a little bit of a shock to the system to some readers. I think Rohe does the complete opposite here where it's like you have to question, oh wait, Segovia, this isn't Segovia? Like it yeah, feels- Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He looks like the same guy. He still does the same cartoonish facial expressions that make me love him so much yeah i think it's most apparent when you see canon but everybody else looks like almost identical well and it's so fascinating because the x-men is a title that is a, a title line that is so overridden with ladies 
it's kind of striking to me that there's really only one strictly female looking woman in Hellions because you know Nanny is feminine and she looks very female but I I, you know what and yeah I was about to say but she doesn't have the curves and I'm like wait no hold on (laughs) Nanny has all the curves but it's another it's another unrealistic body standard yeah, I can't believe they keep making tiny robot women have to conform to yeah. these unrealistic levels of beauty. There we go. Can you imagine all of the sad little female Daleks rolling around going, now I have to look like Nanny. It's perfect. It's everything I've ever needed. Actually, Nanny Dalek is my new favorite thing. Wait, speaking of Daleks, we've been talking about Chimera and and the Locust Vile and Sinister, and we haven't even gotten into Sinister's clone, but we have completely brushed right past the first two pages of this issue, mm-hmm. which kind of teed up a whole other drama going on. So to recap that, Nanny found a baby, what was this? Uh, the Smiley's, right? Cameron Hodges outfit? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And she had... This is a deep cut, motherfuckers. Well, I these smiley like commando, you know, hybrids or whatever on their little yacht. That was interesting. And I guess mm-hmm. they and it looked like at the end, I'm blanking on this guy's name, but the guy with the goggles re- looks very much like the Orcus guy from House and Powers, you no? Know? Yeah, I can't figure out which Orcus guy he is because they all run in together in my head, but I actually really enjoyed the scene. I like because like when I when I first read it, I, I thought they were talking about the baby, but then I realized that they were communicating with Nanny's ship rather than the baby and that changed everything for me. Yeah, I was super confused about who they were actually talking to. And then I saw the baby, I was like... I felt bad finding the commandos on the front page really hot. I was like, what? no, they're bad guys. They're not oh. hot. No. You know what, though? Hey, we got one panel of them, and I like these these characters so much more than yeah. any of the new Reavers. Yes, so, yes, like, yes, The Reavers yes. over on Matterport, like, the old school Reavers had such distinct designs. Even if there's, like, two or three of them that I kind of blur them together, like Cole and Macron. I don't know what, which one's which, but, like, they're kind of interchangeable. But you had Pretty Boy. You had. You would remember who you shot had, you. You had distinct looks, and now the new Reavers just have these like weird, you know, kind of body enhancements or whatever. And I'm I'm not really digging it. Whereas these Smileys, they kind of this design aesthetic kind of hit the spot for me. This felt more like a like a Reavers part two kill Mar- squad. Like Mar- Marvel has really leaned into the gross. Like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So happy for them. Yeah, read like, a number of books where I've had to think about how to edit discussing the amount of vomit in each book. Like seriously, I'm not I'm not being silly. We've had at least four titles where I've had to think about how to edit around vomit as a plot point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, we we can issue. we can thank Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn for a heavy amount of vomit over in the pages of Way of X lately, and over in Black Knight, and over in Strange Academy, there was a vomit monster. Like yeah. it's been, yeah, um, it's been really intense. How how hardcore. Marvel. I mean, I think it's in part thanks to the tremendous success of the Immortal Hulk, oh, yeah. proving that there is a not just a relevant community interested in exploring body horror as we enter an age where commodifying the idea of body modification becomes more attractive as a standard element of coming of age, right? But I think we are seeing the response to things like the idea of emergent horror through things like Midsummer, and you know, now everything is flowers, guys. 
Well, I was about to say, I'll, no, I was about to say, I'll take body horror over plant terror any day of the week. I'm so over plants. That's why I was sounding angry. As a, as a resident plant gay, I have to object. It got Absolutely. real quiet, real fast. You like the, you like all the plants, the cotati, the man. I love, I love every one of them. I love, I love horticulture. One of them. Yes. They're my favorite. Yes. Everyone's like, they're the golden girls. I'm like, nah, they're hot in Cleveland. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, to your, to your point about body, body horror. Yeah. I think, um, I, I actually think it's part to do with the maturation of the MCU as well. I've always thought that Marvel comics before the establishment of the MCU played this very appeal to all ages or just a slightly younger demographic thing like there was always like that 15 to 15 to 19 age group that i felt like was skewing some of the stuff down but i think now that the mcu has been established and marvel sitting in there going actually no we've got like billions of adults who are happy to carry on with these characters i think like it gives you freedom to do more body horror things because then maybe the, the voice is going you know it has to be good for the kids I think that is so smart and I really, I completely agree with you. I feel like it used to be more like we're writing for a younger audience and now there's this awareness that yes, that's part of the audience and of course we want new readers, but another part of it is the kids that grew up with this stuff who are now, you know, adults paying bills and still escaping into comics. I mean, it was over at Vertigo in the 90s. It's just Marvel took its goddamn time and they tried repeatedly and every time they tried, they backed down and i think the closest we ever fucking got was bendis on daredevil at the same time as morrison on new x-men at the same time as milligan on ecstatics and i think that sort of trifecta represented the closest we got before this as an attempt to re oh because that was also when we had slot doing really progressive things on she hulk you know it was a really important time for a lot of creators and you know i also this fucking says mature reader right on the front like that's really good just do it just i don't want to obscure the art but just put the little put the little blurb and then do better things put the little tvma and then do good do good with your bad and that's all i want from you marvel i just want you to do good with your bad like sinister clones very good very good with my very bad guys we have to talk about these sinister clones i am obsessed with the clear clever way to interpret two different versions of the same sociopath. This is like watching two different YouTube murder channels talk about the same killer, but having those iterations have a conversation because it is so beautifully just off center. Steve, I feel like you had to lick this up. That's not, I don't like that phrase for it, but I feel like it had to be a place you liked. So I enjoy seeing Sinister be a twit and talk to himself. I think it's funny every time he asks his other self a question as if he doesn't already know the answer. Like when he's like, would you like to talk? He's like, no, I'd like to just stand quietly. He's like, great. <laughs> like, yeah, duh. I really like the extent to which Sinister hates himself. Whenever the other Sinister is praising Tarn and he's just like, oh, you should be embarrassed for yourself. It's like, all right, but that's you. Don't you, you, you don't do deserve this. that cape. You're not worthy of that cape. <laughs> yeah. Sinister feels himself not to be worthy of that cape, but he's just an ego monster. So that's how it has to be. I can't believe he ever thought making more than one of himself was a good idea. But here we are today. He made a Sinistarn. Unbelievable. I hope it was annihilated. <laughs> Every straight guy says the phrase, it can't taste that bad till they taste themselves. So oh, that is that sort of Sinister making clones of Sinister, thinking this is going to turn out okay for him. Woo. 
Oh, and the Christian portion of the evening has ended. <laughs> Oh no! I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, we're usually. Is that okay? I'm sorry. We're no, we're bad. I'm sorry. Are you okay? I'm. Did I? I'm. I'm sorry. Are you okay? Oh, yeah. Christ is very important to Ashley's life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but but yeah. So Steve, I think you made an amazing point about sinister. I'm gonna wheel back on what I said earlier. Um. So no, I'm gonna stick to it, uh, and I, I promise I'll get to the sentence. I am on this um, journey with you. Oh my god, this is riveting. <laughs> So I said that I don't root for Sinister, and I don't, because people like Apocalypse, I, it's not even that they were redeemed. In my mind, redeem, redeem is a big word. Redeem means for me that I now understand and empathize with everything that you've done in your journey. I don't, I, I, for me, Apocalypse wasn't redeemed. He was contextualized. Like, I understood his motivations. Do I think, so the, right. do I think the things so that he right. did were good? No. Like, I read so many of, like, Apocalypse's old stuff. I'm only fucking idiot. But I now understand why he did that stuff. And Suddenly that, he makes sense for like the first time. Exactly. And that that's it was such a good contextualization job. And I felt like with Sinister, I still don't have the context for why he betrays everybody the way he does. For yeah, why but, he is so even why he's so self-destructive. If, if there comes a chance for betrayal, even if it fucks him up, he does it. Yeah. And I still don't understand that about him yet. So, so that's not me saying I. So I'm going to switch what I said from my. Uh, you know, it's not that I don't root for him. It's just I don't understand the motivations of the character. But well, I feel like I understand him, or I get closest to that understanding, where I see him talk to himself, and I'll and then I'll end that because there, there. I feel like he opens up to himself, or he's more genuine to himself and less snarky, and there's less of a veneer or a facade in his self dialogue than when he speaks to other people, where there's always like a game or an angle or a. Quick or a dig and the question that i'll kind of end this on is when he was building sinistan does his consciousness go into that new body or does is, is he just building his replacement which then may like it, i've always wondered whether he treats he sacrifices himself for other iterations of himself or was that a self-serving thing that that's a very interesting question and something that i think has been purposefully obscured and muddy from the very beginning when back in house and powers when we saw sinister assassinate himself and take over so like the question of who is sinister prime and what makes him the prime for over anyone else is a really good question that i don't think we have a clear answer to i agree with you or i believe that no sinister wasn't just making new life he was trying to create another vessel for his consciousness you know and maybe the little maybe the little diamond logo is more than just the logo and branding and it's how sinister kind of controls or travels from you know from body to body the prime or, or whatever uh i would have assumed that this would have been a sinister you know a, a new version of sinister i also think that it's very possible that tarn's dna or whatever could corrupt and and change that plan in ways that sinister didn't foresee so we might have ended up with a whole new character and lastly i if you think that i believe this was the only chimera farm and all this shit isn't backed up I agree that it has to be replicated somewhere else. Also, I don't think Sinister has ever intended to be succeeded by anybody. I think he has, and this is very stupid of him. It's his fatal flaw. I mean, he has so incredibly many flaws, but this is the one that kills him every time, is that Sinister has never intended to have a replacement for him. The clones are like his playthings. He assumes that he will dominate them, that he is the best version of himself, and every clone assumes that. And that is, it's so funny to me because it's just a constant struggle for dominance of the sinister system among them. And 
he gets succeeded every time a sinister dies another sinister takes his place but it's never been like intentional on his part in my opinion it has always been the assumption that they will serve him and that is the dumbest thing he could have thought and i love that because i actually read it the complete opposite way i've always read sinister as a metaphor for uncomfortable white male legacy where he truly believes as long as the identity of sinister in whatever form because he's all about body mod and who sinister is today is unrecognizable to sinister yesterday and some Sometimes he just experiments on his own fucking living body. To me, Sinister represents this idea that his money is more powerful and his name is more powerful than any one body could ever be. And Mm -hmm. if the whole world were overrun by a white goo of Sinister clones, that would just be his greatest victory. I don't know that he's so worried with who's going to inherit the Earth so much as he's going to be the one to unlock it. And whatever it takes for Sinister to do so is what he's going to do. Yeah, it's such an interesting conflation of narcissistic self-serving but also deep reckless self-sacrifice um, and i don't understand how he made sinister didn't anticipate or expect that would then be the ruling sinister but also i really want to see sinister and I, I, I kind of feel like he's made a v2 that's a bit more compelling than he is and i know it's horrible but yeah i kind of want to see a little bit of chaos from sinister and sorry steve i know that probably sends a shiver up your back hey a little a little sinister and chaos would be fun and all but thanks to the mvp of krakoa emma frost having her her Game of Thrones moment when uh when when Empath whispers to Sinister, Emma says hello and sets off the fuse that is Havoc, and Havoc fucking trashes the entire thing. Like Emma Frost, just a G. Even not even appearing in this comic, she's like my standout character. She's just the best. That's I my gotta final say, part. it's very funny that this right now at the very end of the episode is the first time we have mentioned the Summers brother in this issue. Uh, that is just a testimony to how unimportant and how uninteresting he is in comparison to all these other villains and anti-heroes and anti-villains and whatever the hell Sinistar is. That guy gives me a new baby. I'm excited for it. I do love Goosebumps. He's our new baby. Everyone, love new baby. I'm very excited. I love Sinistar and I think he's just the right kind of horrible and disturbing. And I just, you know, the whole fact that Emma is the kind of linchpin that pulls the, no, she's the opposite of linchpin. She's what pulls the pin out of the grenade. You know what I mean? That was such a, uh, this is a great issue, guys. I had such an amazing time talking about this issue with you. I want to say a big special thanks to Ash and to Arturo for setting it all up and to Steve for being an equally, I'm pretty sure you know Ash, so that made this even easier. So I want to thank everybody for making this episode so spectacular thank you you. it was an absolute pleasure to be here enjoying always fun Hey everybody, Nico here again. Now, Strange Academy was probably the non-X book that most influenced our show. We knew we wanted to cover it. A lot of us are longtime Scotty Young fans and Marvel Magic fans, but this told us that there was so much still out there in Marvel Magic for us to cover, even as an X-Men show, that it pretty much is why the show adapted to featuring more and more titles along the lines of Valkyries, The Curse of Man Thing, and the upcoming Death of Doctor Strange and Darkhold Minis, so we couldn't be more excited. Enjoy this next segment and before issue 13 in november don't forget to check out strange academy death of dr strange by scotty young in october
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next segment of Extra Podcast, where we have the mutants, magic, and the marvels. I am Rod. You can find me at Rod, the on Twitter and Instagram. That's R O D C O M M A T H E. Yay! And I'm Raven, aka Dame Red Bento, D A M E R E D B E N T O. Yay! Spelling bee! Winner! I am Robbie. Uh, you can find me at Age of Valeris on Twitter and Twitch. <laughs> hey everyone, I'm Kyle. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D R A N T I S 82. Hey, it's Nathan. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA. That's like Dazzler in the Age of Apocalypse. And I hope you guys survived this experience like everybody did, except for his coat. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sweet misery. Yeah, the magical vomit got eaten up again. It did not survive. <laughs> so that brings us to what we're talking about today, which is Strange Academy, issue number 12, which is written by Scotty Young. The artist is Humberto Ramos. The color artist is Edgar Delgado. And the letter is VCs Clayton Cowles. Now, the last thing that we saw in issue number 11 was that we saw Calvin getting taken over by his mysterious, you know, jacket that we know now is like vomit craziness. Um, and, <laughs> and we saw that he did take the heart of Toth, a poor Toth. And now we're mm-hmm. fighting the, in the repercussions of that. So how did y'all feel going into this right at the start, seeing that, let me see, Mr. Misery was basically Dr. Strange's mistake, and this is all Dr. Strange's fault. <laughs> well, Everything's Dr. Strange's fault. Then. So, I wasn't okay. surprised, like, I wasn't surprised that it was his fault, but I was surprised that, wow, his fault really came back to bite his students first, and somehow he didn't pick up on it. Like, how the hell do you not pick up on that? You should be magically warded against this shit, man. <laughs> The sorceress, the don't, not the sorceress, oh. the <laughs> <laughs> So, is this that thing that was like locked up in that basement that was kind of like talking to Emily or whatever? Or is that something different? That's something different. We oh, still yeah. haven't seen that yet. That's still <laughs> that's still to fruition. That's yeah, also that's a scary. stranger's fault. Also, stranger's <laughs> fault. Yeah. Yes. Everything that happens basically in this story is Strange's fault. He should not be around children. So, well, and, and why is he building a whole ass school on top of all of his mistakes? Like, literally built on top of his mistakes. Like, what the hell are you thinking, man? You know, no, no one ever said Strange made the best decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so. I'm wondering how, because I'm trying to remember, I didn't have time to read through all the other 11 issues, but did we get any, like, really one-on-one time with Calvin and uh, Stephen Strange at all? Because Raven does bring up a good point. How did he not realize that that's the thing he literally ate and vomited in the toilet before? (laughs) I honestly don't think that Calvin has spent a lot of time near Strange at all. I mean, Strange kind of pops in every once in a while, but I think it's mostly involving uh, Emily. Mm -hmm. Calvin is very much the overlooked. Like most of these kids here at the Academy are very much othered to begin with, but at least most of them had some sort of family that they could rely on and lean on. And instead, Calvin is from the foster system and he's 
there because, you know, he killed his foster parents because they were abusing him horribly and that that coat lashed out with its power. And so he's he's always kind of alone. He always gets kind of ribbed the fat jokes and, you know, people just kind of downplay any power that he might have. Like everybody's like, oh, Doyle, he's so powerful because he's Dormammu's kid. And, oh, wow. You know, Emily's just badass because she brought uh, Doyle back to life. And, you know, they're they're more concentrated on other people. But he is so quickly and easily overlooked that he's always been a little bit on the outside, even though everybody's sort of friends with him. Yeah. Just my take. I'm glad you gave that take. And I feel like we all, as like comic book geeks, (laughs) can probably feel that a little bit, especially probably being younger, being on like the outskirts of like, even like the outcasts of the outcasts a little bit, you know, like trying to fit in. Even Calvin, who wasn't even magically gifted, but was like, I need this jacket just so I can, like, this, even though it's evil, just so I can stay with my friends that I've made. Oof, that is a feeling in the comic book community, especially among us queer comic book fans, because there's so much of the heteronormity and the anti-LGBTQIA sentiment in the general comic community. Unfortunately, I don't want to generalize everybody, but there's, there's enough of those voices out there. So we always felt especially when i was growing up and i'm glad to see more of it now where there's more queer kids involved in comics and i love seeing that but when i was a kid i was kind of like i love comics i don't know gay too but yeah i love comics So it's even feeling othered among the other is definitely a feeling that I'm used to from growing up. Mm-hmm. I, I think he is, I think Calvin is still technically magically inclined. Misery just opened the door for him to use that power. Ooh. I'm hoping so. I hope, yeah. I hope he yeah. has that. Yeah, I Yeah, because so if he too. gets tossed back out into the system, I will absolutely die. I will just, oh, uh, mm, I will be inconsolable if he suddenly doesn't have any magic powers and just, you know, for whatever reason gets pushed aside. Oh my god, no. Mm, not my Calvin. Yeah. I seriously Strange doubt Scotty Young will do that. I, I don't, Strange would do that. I don't think yeah, Scotty would do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I think Stephen Strange it would do that. I don't think he would have any qualms. He'd be like, oh, he'd be mm. safer in the system. That sounds like Strange's mentality. But Scotty mm-hmm. Young is not like that so he's not gonna do that also strange is dying so he won't be able to make any decisions soon. yay <laughs> i mean yay, yay! no i mean <laughs> it's just yay <laughs> like oh no strange oh no yeah, but it's fine <laughs> so i love this part in the book where i mean humberto ramos goes all out when he has the kids really help try to free calvin from the evil vomit monster that is misery (laughs) and how did y'all feel like really seeing like all these students kind of use their special powers in this way like it's kind of what they've been building up to in these 11 issues so they can actually use the power they've been studying how'd y'all feel about that i really love it because you know so many issues we've just been seeing them like study and do you know like that school shit (laughs) and it's nice to see like a scene where they get to take what they've been learning and actually apply it to like you know a little literal life and death situation (laughs) yeah i definitely agree kyle what was your favorite moment in this kind of kids trying to help calvin moment because i haven't really I don't think we've ever really talked about Strange Academy together, so I don't even know who your favorite student is in this whole group, and I would love to know that. Okay, let's see. Well, my favorite is actually Calvin. (laughs) (laughs) 
Love it. Yeah, he's just a sweet boy. I feel so bad for him. But my favorite part of the rest of the students coming to his rescue was actually Gus coming in through the through the roof and just throwing themselves at Mr. Misery and using their ice breath. And it, it was it was great finally seeing them take some action. Yeah, yeah, I gotta agree. We don't get. It's hard for, in a multi-character book, for a lot of characters to get, you know, a lot of screen time. But I feel like they balance that, for the most part, well in this book, you know, in this whole series. And I'm glad that we get these little moments, either one or two pages, with, like, them really showing how powerful they are. Even though they're just kids, they're still powerful. They'd say, like, the deadliest snake is tiny, is the baby snake. So these are the baby snakes, and they're real powerful. Mm-hmm. So I love that we can see that. <laughs> yep. For me, it was seeing Desi get a chance to shine because oh. I've been looking to see more of her because, like, it's Sim's daughter. Like, how fascinating is that to have Sim's daughter as a character in a book? And I was like, oh, I need to see more of her. But she really hasn't had as much of a chance to shine yet. I'm sure the spotlight will come on her soon. But to see that was amazing and to have her be like the crux that kind of got Mr. Misery defeated was, yes, amazing. And the fact that Sim's daughter is so emotionally well balanced for a limbo demon is pretty right. amazing. Who thought, who would have thought Sim would be a good parent? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't, I mean, I would hope that he's a good parent. Desi at least, for, really a, least for a limbo <laughs> demon. <laughs> a limbo demon. You know, sometimes a limbo demon might be better than some of the human parents that are on this earth. I mean, look what happened to Calvin. So, but I was, I agree. I do love that we got the Desi reveal of like how powerful she really is and that she ate the vomit up. Like that was cool. (laughs) And I would say not even to compare like groups of like groups of young kids, but if we're comparing it kind of like to the new mutants, like back when they were like first starting, I would say Desi's like the magic of the group, which is kind of like on the nose because she's from Limbo. But especially this scene, like having a fire around her and her screaming and her being like, all demony that got very magic Ileana vibes oh yeah page yeah. 19 after she eats the magic vomit sitting there you know with her in her form it looks very much like Ileana's dark child form i was like fuck yes, yes. Oh yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you're right. Because they're both from Limbo, or you know, at least one was born in Limbo, one was raised and has become the ruler of Limbo. Uh, yeah, I would see where they would have some crossover in some of their forms and features, because you know, there's really only one way to kind of keep part of yourself grafted to Limbo, and that is to be a deism of it. So. Yeah, I could see where she might have taken over some body and and form and function looks the same. But oh my god, I loved I loved Desi so much because she's she's truly just went okay. You want to fuck around? Let's find <laughs> out. You think yes. you're the big bad? I came from the dimension that fucking farmed this shit. Okay, <laughs> like this is my <laughs> bread and butter. Let's see how you do. Oh, you're a white girl with boxer braids, mm, and your hair's now falling out. You don't say. Just, like, oh damn, Des! Like you don't have to burn them that bad, but she did, and it was. I glorious. think we all know that white girl too. <laughs> right? right. I don't know. My hair fell out. I don't know because it's like uh, the flattest, softest, baby fine hair and you pulled that shit so tight you had a permanent joker smile on i don't know bitch you asked somebody else <laughs> there's so many unfortunately white women on tiktok that have that uh it's just oh. 
it's, it's very painful unsettling. to see. It's very unsettling. <laughs> so painful. I, it's, and it's not that I sympathize or empathize with them. It's just that I know what is going to happen as they undo that hair and giant chunks of it is just coming out. And it's like, bitch, it's not because, well, okay, yeah, we don't want to see it for a number of reasons, but we're also warning you because we don't want you to end up fucked over, which is basically what Desi said. It's like, you know, we tried this the nice way, but okay, we're just going to let you see how much this is going to suck for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now you're mine to eat again. <laughs> when when the misery vomit is like, take it back, child, and she's like, I can do that for you. And I was like, yeah, and she just eats, so, ah, I just... I love that. Well, she she, she ate him, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just... uh, It's uh, it's like vomit inception. Oh, I thought about that. Why? No. (laughs) It's probably the most grotesque scene, like, that next... That that same page 19 where, like, she's biting down on it. You can almost see his eye squeezing out. You're like... Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Oh. <laughs> I love. Oh. I loved it. I love it. And the lettering is so perfect. It's you could feel. It. You could feel teeth like going through viscera and crunchiness. Just, oh. It's oh. so gross, but it's so good. Talking about lettering, this book really does let the letterers oh, yeah. seem to have mm-hmm. a lot of fun with it because mm-hmm. you've got those nice effects. You've got some of the different some of the different students being from different dimensions have different vocal word balloon cadences, different colors for their speech it's it's amazing and i would think that would be a little bit more fun for a letterer who the letterers don't get enough credit and this book really shows you some of the magic they do oh yeah i mean clayton cowles is um, i feel like a mastery he's been in so many books like especially in the last two years i feel like i've always seen his name almost on every at least every other book especially in marvel so i i feel like marvel (laughs) really loves his the way he just like knows how things are going to sound and you can just look at this and like we were saying we can hear the slurping and the crunching and the eye mm-hmm. bursting i wanted to ask we didn't get robbie your take on desi and this whole moment mm-hmm. what, what were you feeling when you were watching all of this Man, just like how Desi did, I ate that shit up. I really <laughs> loved. <laughs> I love it. I really loved this build up for her character because we really haven't seen her take charge of a situation, and the art did her justice. One like side note too, with like having this issue like focused on like her, Calvin, and Gus. I will say I really like how they had Emily and Doyle kind of like take a step back and yes. like because mm. they've had issues to really shine. And I really like how like last issue and this issue really like gave it to these three characters to have like some really big badass moments. Mm. And that's something that we don't really get to see in like big team books where mm-hmm. they perfectly like balance moments out and I, i'm i'm very thankful that we get that <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 i would agree that more team books need more balancing and I, like i said before it is hard to do that because certain i feel like writers have certain favorite characters they have in the team books they're like oh and they are they really well versed in writing that one or two characters so like oh i know how to i know this character's voice i'm gonna keep using them but it's like, you need to be well-versed in all the characters because just because that's your favorite character on that team doesn't mean that's the reader's favorite character yeah. on that team. So, 
my quote, my next question is, I want to know, speaking of Desi, mm-hmm. do you know how Dr. Strange couldn't handle, you know, the misery vomit in his body? Because <laughs> he is human, which <laughs> makes sense. But do we think the misery vomit will affect Desi at all? Do we think it's just going <laughs> to process in her, like, hell dimension <laughs> stomach? Like, do um, we think it's going to corrupt her? What do we think is going to happen? I think that was a good bowl of ramen for her. Okay. <laughs> I, think that, I think that was a snack. <laughs> So yeah, on, honestly, I don't think that I don't think that misery will affect her the way it affected Strange. Strange is still very much from this mortal plane, and while he may be a sorcerer supreme, uh, you know he doesn't handle misery as as food. You know, to him, he can he can contain something within himself for a while as as a spell, but not not long term. He's not a long term jailer. Misery, on the other hand, our our dear dear Desi is just you know that that is literally her bread and butter it's what she eats it's what her family eats it's why they are you know the family of despair in limbo so to her yeah like that's literally just a bowl of ramen in another day (laughs) i think it would have been funny if they would have had a uh, like a scene where like she gets like a stomach ache and then you hear Um. then she like burps and like uh some type of misery line just comes out (laughs) (laughs) what a world (laughs) oh my god that was just that a little hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, maybe they'll do that next issue. Because <laughs> that would be hilarious. I would it would be nice that. to see. You. Yeah. Right. I'm hoping this gives her like a power boost since Raven, that like, you did bring up a good point that like mm-hmm. she does feed on misery. Like she literally gave almost like quote unquote all the world's misery or the despair really to misery, you know the vomit <laughs> so i hope they like gives her like a power up and she just like maybe takes like a different form or just is like we see her do more magic something to that degree because until this issue we haven't seen her do much except for like freak out zoe <laughs> so, which i'm all for but like i want to see a little bit more you know limbo magic Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree with that. So, how did we feel uh, about this touching moment between all the kids and mm-hmm. Calvin? Like, I'm, I'm, me personally, I'm glad that you know we had the more you know touching moment, and they can forgive. And I feel like a lot of younger, younger generational kids, our kids in general, even when we were kids like are better at forgiving than adults. So I'm not surprised that they were so forgiving at first, even though he basically killed one of them. (laughs) Well, I think they all recognized that it was his misery that fed the coat, but it was not him that were, was doing the action. And like Calvin still feels a very deep sense of responsibility for what happened. So they know he isn't just trying to let himself off the hook. He didn't try to excuse like, Oh my God! Well, I didn't do that. I don't know why you're mad at me. It was the coat, but it, he's like, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know how this happened. I fucked. And like, literally, I think they're they're getting ready to forgive him and heal because they recognize that this was not something that he maliciously or intentionally did. And oh my God, <sighs> the moment between Calvin and Thoth. Uh, I think I just, oh god, I cried for like a good five minutes solid, just I couldn't see the page, like, oh my god, it was an ugly cry. But it was was so beautiful, and it was so very much in line with the character. It really was. Kyle, how did you feel about this moment? Uh, Yeah, it was so incredibly heartfelt, and I mean, just... 
just seeing Calvin tear up, it just really was that endearing moment. My only gripe about it is that mm-hmm. Gus wasn't included. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. true. I'm sad now. That Gus was yeah. I didn't even notice too. Now I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it'd be really it'd be really hard to include him per se unless it, they had literally yeah. like he scoops them up kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. no, I I, I, yeah. I get what you mean. I absolutely get what you mean. Because Aww. Gus is a part of the is a part of the class and mm-hmm. that he can't partake in this kind of mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I Kind of, I'm kind of interested that not that anyone should change their body, you know, to try to fit in or anything, but I'm a little, I guess that's probably why they didn't do it because they would be kind of like suggesting people should, but I'm surprised that they didn't even do like a little spell for Gus to make them more like um, average size so they could at least fit into the classroom during the day just to take the class with the other students and then at the end of the day, go back to big. But I guess they probably didn't want to be like, you know, change yourself for other people. But right. I don't know. It's it's interesting that that hasn't been a conversation yet, you know, for Gus. Maybe it will in the future. True. Very, very true. I hope they keep him the way he is. Like, let, let big boys be big. Come on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Come on. Yeah. You're tall, Rod. You wouldn't want somebody to try to shrink you down just to fit with the short people. Oh, no, no. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to shrink down at all. I'm happy being tall. Even though being shorter would help me find, like, easier clothing. <laughs> just, don't, just don't go too short because it, then it gets hard then too I mm. <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah, no. I'm average yeah. height so I don't know like, I find all the clothes that I want so y'all can suck it <laughs> but no I, I wouldn't in, in retrospect again I wouldn't want Gus to to change the height. I'm just surprised that hasn't even come up at all. I yeah. guess they were just like whatever about it. Oh, I did love though. I taught this like the best boy ever though. Like, oh my god. Like, ugh. like, and and his parents were so understanding too during the whole thing. I was like, oh, I was like, I kind of want to move to Weird World now. Like, if that's like <laughs> what Weird World does to people, like, I want to move there. Come on, give it to me. Right. I mean, I feel like Man Thing's definitely. In, I don't know about the mom as much. We don't know much about her, but Man Thing's like i you know sometimes almost kill people i kill people all the time it's fine i i understand <laughs> so <laughs> robbie what did you think of this really touching moment it was so cute i really loved just to see a scene where they show they still show unconditional support for him and to remind him that like nothing was his fault because this is a situation where he could easily walk away from with having a lot of guilt over it mm-hmm. and it was just mad cute. <laughs> <laughs> so cute so the next it was really cute i really enjoyed it the next issue issue 13 isn't coming until november and that makes me very sad because because that's a long oh. way. <laughs> we oh. are getting... <laughs> I have my needs. <laughs> <laughs> we are getting a, a Death of Doctor Strange tie-in that's coming in October. So we're getting probably a little bit of the students probably mourning Doctor Strange. I don't know what that's going to entail. Seems interesting. But the next issue has Zoe on the cover. And my, my question for y'all is, so in these last two issues... We had Howard the Duck be a, Howard the Duck be a guest, you know, appearance. 
you know, for uh, Todd's case and everything. So who do we think or who do we want to guest star for Zoe's, like, you know, character profile issue? Who do you think would come for, because, you know, she's like zombie, zombie magic, has to deal with a lot of death. Who would y'all want up here? Dead girl? I, I was about yeah. to say, I'd love be to there say, at the academy. I, I would love to see more of dead girl because, I mean, who's better prepared, honestly, to handle something like that than dead girl? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, I'd love to see that. Somewhere somewhere in the ether, Nico's ears are ringing because we just we right. all like, said dead girl so many times. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, I feel it. My time of great power is coming. You say it five times in the mirror. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like to see Dead Girl again because oh, no, you know we great. saw her be as a counselor for Doyle because you know Doyle died, and I feel like Zoe is having mm-hmm. a lot of emotions about being a zombie. We don't know how she became that, and she has a little bit of you know mm-hmm. misgivings about that because you know she uses the glamour spell. She doesn't want to be her true self like out in the open. So it would be like nice for Dead Girl to be like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. I know how that feels. She can't hide who she what she looks like, so maybe she can have some relation to that, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm also like very excited that Zoe's finally gonna have like a big moment in the storyline because she's been my favorite character in this. Because yeah, we got some stuff like towards the beginning ish, and then that one like zombie reveal. But then since then, we've only gotten like moments for like every other character, kinda. So it's nice to see you know my girl uh, step up and get a cute little cover. She deserves it. Thank you, thank you, Scott Young, for so much. Stuff, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Oh yeah, wonderful. thank you. Yeah, keep working your magic on everything that you are part of honestly (laughs) so i was wondering though what happens if zoe is able to deal with a lot of her like the body dysmorphia the trauma the negative emotions that she has towards herself will she suddenly become less attractive to desi who feeds on negative energy that did not cross my mind but now i'm very intrigued on that whole like social aspect of that yeah oh my god yeah, I was like, oh, and especially with with the death of Doctor Strange, that's going to bring up a lot of negative emotions in other people, which, you know, provides basically a buffet. So will somebody else's misery become more tempting? You know, like, oh, my God, it, it, it brings up so many delicious issues that I'm you like, deal with. I love uh, it. <laughs> and they are young, right? So, like, yeah, you, you, you are going to not realize maybe you're attracted to this girl because you want to eat her emotions. Like, you know, maybe, you know, like, that's how I used to find people when I was younger. I was so, like, like uh, no, not emotions. <laughs> but, like, anyway, whatever. <laughs> well. But, no. like In but, ways. <laughs> but you do. You find you do find when you're young, you're you're figuring out your attraction, why you're attracted to certain people. So that would be really interesting to take that road down. It. I hope I hope they can grow and like be cute together because they're so adorable. But like, mm-hmm. that actually, really would be a, a really great aspect to see. And we know Scotty Young is really good at you know pulling at these emotional threads in these stories. Mm-hmm. So seeing like this this two you know young girl relationship kind of go through these emotions like do i like you for you or do i just like you because like you like you're a snack you're a snack you know (laughs) (laughs) and that even brings me to the next like a thing that popped in my head it's like like you said raven 
the next thing that we're going to see basically from Strange Academy is the death of Doctor Strange tie-in. That might be a buffet mm. for Desi. Like, is Desi in that maybe that one issue or maybe beyond going to be, like, the next, like, mini big bad that we have for, like, maybe one issue that they have to, like, calm her down because she's, like, so en- engrossed by misery. Hmm. Mm. Wow. Yeah, there there's a lot of potential backlash. Mm-hmm. Magic oh, also, too. <laughs> also yeah. too, like, we don't know what's going to end up with Wanda. You know, she's not going to really be dead, but is, you know, Wanda's also mm-hmm. a facility, me- a faculty member. So, like, well, that just leaves yeah. Jericho, who was like, oh my God, Jericho was so amazing in this issue. Like, I was like, yes like yeah. i was like you know what that's all the faculty you need for this school yeah, right. <laughs> right also jericho and like wanda are supposed to be kind of dating a while ago even though marvel likes to forget about that so i want to so i'm like i want to know his reaction to wanda dying like they haven't talked about it in this issue because we don't know if this happened like before that we don't know the timeline in strange academy it's very very on its own. Um, uh, the only right. time it's going to have is Death of Doctor Strange. It's the first time it's had, and so many events have happened while this book has been around. So, but I, I know they're gonna, they have to talk about Death of Doctor Strange because it's called Strange Academy. But I would love it if they mentioned at least the death of Wanda and how that would maybe affect some of the students because they did have our class with her. So. Mm-hmm. Yep true very it would very be really true. nice to see and yeah like like you said even in the trial of magneto we only got to see the microwave show up we didn't really get to see <laughs> Jericho. like jericho didn't show up i'm sorry is he a toaster is he a microwave he's a toaster you okay. respect his name <laughs> okay <laughs> that's mr toaster <laughs> Viv Vision's dad showed up <laughs> and <laughs> so like we, but yeah Marvel does like to forget about Wanda and Jericho and that was really I, I like that for maybe I liked it more for Wanda than I like it more for Jericho but yeah because I think it was better for her than for him but that's the way a lot of relationships are I would like to see that acknowledged though in the book and it's really going to be interesting to see where all these magical characters are after the death of Strange and after Darkhold which is going to be to start in soon yeah mm-hmm. wow. yeah all these magical events are happening soon and i feel like they have to i mean we know death dark strange will but i feel like that even the dark hold has to affect strange academy in some way you know because yeah. it's pulling it's making the i feel like uh the dark magic in the world bigger and if that mm-hmm. doesn't like at least oh. affect desi if nobody else then come on well, Sorry. we don't really know how the dark magic would be affected due to the deal that Strange made, uh, right? That's mm. true. They might be protected while they're in the school still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, if anybody would know the cost of magic, it's going to be Doyle. Because, hello, son of Dormammu, you're, there's no way to miss that freaking sermon, I'm sure, every other day. Um, <laughs> and then Desi, because her father runs uh, a decent part of Limbo in one manner or another. Well, so Let's be honest, he probably does all the administrative work. He, like, he actually runs Limbo. <laughs> Ileana yeah, just is like, she shows up and she's like, y'all demons better do what I want to do or I'm going to cut your tongue off. Like, entail. And all. Yeah, right, like- but I mean, you'd still get that. You'd still probably get that. Honey, we need to sit down and talk about misery and despair and magic. Uh, you know, there's there's got to be a balance. <laughs> what? Well, when a demon really, really likes causing pain. <laughs> <laughs> it's the demon sex talk. I love it. <laughs> right? I, I want... 
I we need that's what this book is truly missing. Well, we have like one issue of it, but I need those more family moments. I need oh them to God. talk with their like with their parents and everything. We need at least one issue where they're like each student has like a moment with their parents and they're just like talking with them about something. I don't know what it will be, but that would be mm-hmm. really cool to see. <laughs> My God, yeah. Oh, is that? Oh, oh, is that why Dormammu didn't show up in in the parent day because he was busy becoming a planet? Probably. Oh my god. And your mama is the, the last annihilation. Oh my god, how could I forget yeah. about that? I don't know how Doyle doesn't sense that his father is like taking over planets and forming <laughs> a pentagram in space and being as a big, you know, ego planet sized body. Um, but he does not mention it. Um, this might also, we don't know the timeline, might be before, but I would like that also mentioned soon. That Doyle at least feels that or something. <laughs> I bet Alvi and Eric are like, <laughs> and you thought our mom, the Enchantress, was bad? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, oh, our mom might be bad, but your father? Oh, 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 it's like pure no. evil. <laughs> right? Enchantress wishes she could do stuff like that. She has nowhere near the power, unfortunately. Ooh. ooh, ooh. I would love to see goad her into destroying more Dormammu. Who's the big bitch now? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. That'd be really cool. <laughs> but, okay. So, Strange Academy, it's going to come back technically in October, but 13, issue 13 is going to come back in November. What are y'all's mm-hmm. final thoughts for this issue and what you would like, final thoughts on what you would want to see in issue 13? We'll go with first Robbie. Overall, I really enjoyed the fight scenes in this issue. I thought that was the, probably the, the more stronger part of this issue. And one thing I thought was really funny was how they were like, thank you for all your hard work, Howard the Duck. And I was like, but Tuxedo Mask, you didn't do anything. (laughs) Hey, throwing that rose takes a lot of aim, okay? (laughs) And it usually slices something in the air. (laughs) That's true. Not tuxedo mask, you didn't do anything. It's, oh my god. Like, <laughs> it's so. I was like, like, sure, okay, Howard the Duck. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> he, he did you a so lot much. of things in the last, you know, issue and whatnot. But yeah, it, it was one of those moments of seriously? Nobody's going to be like, oh my god, Jesse, thank you. Scary, but thank you. Like, right? They were like, oh, Desi, cool, but thank you, Howard the Duck. You were the true MVP. I mean, let's not forget, Howard the Duck did not put on pants. and No, he did. He put on pants. And he was able to figure out that it was Calvin all along. Wow, you know, <laughs> and, and one impressive thing is that little duck kept his hat on the whole entire fight. <laughs> he did I didn't do that. <laughs> you know, you know, Howard the Duck. We didn't know this, but he has some magic abilities, and that is part of keeping his hat on his head. You know, he's, <laughs> he's very skilled at that. He has little magic, but he has it with him. <laughs> but at what cost, I, I, I man? Love- at what cost? <laughs> 
Doom hope he shows up more and we get more of his cute little suit and is more of his like oh, yeah. cute little asshole duckness. Like he's like <laughs> he's like Daffy Duck, but like an asshole. But like I love it. Like I want more. Oh yeah. I love Howard the Duck. I want more of him mm-hmm. in the Marvel universe in general. Like yeah. every time we get him, I'm just like, Yay, craziness is about to happen, and it did. <laughs> but but I'm excited. I, I am excited that we're hopefully finally gonna get a nice Zoe feature and hopefully we get a little bit more Desi in it because Desi's been very underfeatured as well and I, I I am liking how it is turning out that all of these characters are going to get their turn and their arc and Scotty Young is just taking his time to build them all up and I'm loving it but I'm like I want to see more of these guys now did you agree. did you see the concert list at the very oh my last gosh. page <laughs> I'm wondering oh, if this yeah. is I'm wondering if this is a little tidbit as to what's to happen in the next issue, which would be great because we would get to see a bit more from Jermaine and um, from Geraldine. Yes. Um, Yeah, from from a couple who've been sort of background characters. Yeah, I was like, we really Mm -hmm. haven't gotten much of Jermaine either, too, or Jermaine. No, Mm -hmm. we definitely need more from Jermaine. I need to know a lot more about him. If he... If he doesn't get more attention in the 13th issue, hopefully it's the 14th or the 15th. Because mm-hmm. I really want, like, a background of, like, how how his power really works and, like, his, like, you know, Brazilian background and all of that. Like, I really want to know mm-hmm. his, like, cultural aspect of his power would be really neat. Now, I will have to say Scotty Young has been, and team, has been very brilliant at keeping actually a pretty even pace of keeping our minds on all of the characters and giving them moments and then really giving you know particular ones moments that they need to shine but without rushing it so it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like you're being like here here's this character okay now here here's this character so the pacing on it is fabulous so i have a lot of faith that we're gonna get to see more from zoe and from calvin um maybe even a little bit more shaley we're gonna get to see a lot more from the different characters so Here's to hoping, and so far they have not let us down. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, I, I got a lot of faith in that. Oh yeah, definitely. Kyle, what about you? What would you? What was your best moments in this issue? What are you looking forward to? It was just such a wonderful issue that I was surprised that it was over so fast for me. And I, I hope that I can have that same experience in the next issue. I definitely want to see more of the characters who haven't really gotten a spotlight yet so I'd, I'd like to see Jermaine. I'd love, love to see more Gus definitely Zoe yeah I, I would say I definitely loved the the amount of teamwork that we saw in this book because we haven't really seen that with these kids yet and I love that I mean we have seen a little bit of teamwork but this is really really all work together and use your magical abilities that they've been learning and with the Zoe book I know that you know Scotty Young and team actually <laughs> used you know marvel to go to new orleans to for research <laughs> which they did they did it for research but new orleans is also great so i don't blame them but since we're getting a zoe maybe centric issue next issue i hope we get to see more of new orleans and of her you know her family in new orleans you know that culture because i love that one issue we got of them you know kind of exploring new orleans a little bit and i would i really want more of that like i really really want it raven and nathan i know you both have kind of said already <laughs> what you would, what you liked and what you would want to see, but do y'all have any closing thoughts left? 
I would just say I love how this story, this this whole book reminds me of the best parts of American Horror Story Coven, like of the mm. Academy. It's mm-hmm. like so similar. I love I love seeing all the students from the different backgrounds. I love seeing, but yeah, like you guys said, I do want to see more of the New Orleans backdrop being used. I would love to see more of the faculty being explored because some of these characters are characters that a lot of us sort of maybe initially tacked on to see and we've only gotten them here and there you know i know i know a lot of people were like oh eliana appear in this book so let me let me grab some issues of it and it's i love that the focus is on the kids but i would like to see a little bit more of the faculty show up last episode we talked about you know like a the strange academy after dark but the faculty <laughs> kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would that would be fun to see some of that explored some of the, like the the teachers getting with the teachers you know like what's going on with one why does this classroom come? always smell like sulfur <laughs> <laughs> it would be it would be cool to see have like maybe like three page three pages of them just like in the teacher's lounge and just like having (laughs) like talking about the kids or just talking about things like i would love to see i guess scarlet witch when she gets brought back iliana and like agatha just like bickering or just like communicating with each other back and forth like that would be really cool because i don't think we've ever they've never been in the same room together all three of them no so that'd be Mm -hmm. crazy no, like, but seriously, like, who ate the- my double egg? Sorry. No, go ahead, Nathan, go ahead. I just like right now my brain is just coming up with stupid puns for shit. Hey everybody, Nico here one last time. Now this segment is Dark Ages number one. And, you know, there was something so exciting about this book when it was pitched, you know, like early pandemic. Like it was, <laughs> This book's been a long time coming. We're so happy it's finally here. And there was something that all of us loved kind of uniquely. And that's the hallmark of a Tom Taylor book. The guy has such an incredible vision for voice. And a vision for voice is really the best way you can describe this incredible atmospheric stylized AU narrative. We hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoy making this show for you twice a week, every week. Don't forget to check us out over on Twitter, YouTube, and Patreon at Excess for Podcast. I'm Nico. You guys can find me at Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Guys, and until next time, and until next time, enjoy this last segment, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, and we'll see ya. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hi, and I'm Rod. You can find me at Rod Kamada on Twitter and Instagram, and sometimes TikTok. That's R-O-D-C-O-M-M-A-T-H-E. I did it. I spelled it. I won the spelling bee. Go me. I'm back. I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me at Comic underscore Canary at Instagram and Twitter. Hey, I'm Nathan. You can find me online at DazzlerAOA on Twitter and Instagram. That's right. Mostly Twitter, sometimes on Instagram. And I'm Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience, unlike Dr. Strange did when he got impaled. But we're still able to cast his spell, though. So, you know, we stand somebody who's still doing their job. Well, that means we are here today to talk about, let's see if this works. I forgot to close the window. Dark Ages, <gasps> number one, by Tom Taylor, Ebon Coelho, Brian Reber, and the 
DC's Joe Sabino. Okay, I have a lot of feelings about this book, and they are, they range from really, really positive. Like, there's things about this book I would give a 10 out of 10, and there's things that, like, made me laugh that I'd give a, right? So, like, I have a lot of feels about this book, but I want to start with, I am a big Tom Taylor fan. I, same, I just said it's same to me. I heard you say same, and I was like, oh, someone (laughs) said they're a Tom Taylor fan, right? (laughs) I love Tom Taylor. I don't think the guy can, I mean, even if you don't emotionally connect with every one of his stories, which I could accept, you know, anybody cannot connect with something. It's like hard to read a Tom Taylor book and think it's not well made. Like the man understands pacing and plotting. He understands page composition, character development. And I am just really excited to hear what you guys might love by Tom Taylor. I know for many of us, it's all new Wolverine. Although for many of you guys, I believe one of you on the end in particular, a big DC lady as she were. I think you have some other Tom Taylor favorites. (laughs) I mean, I mean, come on, Deceased was Mm. just epic. And then I've been really loving Seven Secrets. Um, It's an indie comic that he does that it's so unique. And and if you know me, you know, I love unique new stories and this feels like one. That's awesome. So definitely check out Seven Secrets. Yes, I agree. Seven Secrets is so good. Not to go off to of Dark Ages, but definitely go read Seven Secrets. It does. (laughs) It like it takes you on this path and takes a really left turn. And then you're like, oh, my God, this is not a book that I expected to be. I love it so much. <laughs> I've got to I've got to agree with Deceased. I haven't read several secrets yet. I'm really going to pick that up now. But Deceased really, I've fallen out of DC fandom for a while. And Deceased really made me want to pick DC back up. It was such a fun, unique spin on the whole, like, zombies are taking over the DC universe tale. That, like, I got to have more. And like, yes. And of course, All New Wolverine was like just amazing and epic. So now, uh, Jonah, I know you don't know Tom Taylor from too much because I kind of control your reading flow. So I haven't fed you Tom Taylor yet. I know we're getting to it. We're getting there. But someone you do know is Ibon Coelho, who you might recognize as having done your precious Elsa in the pages of Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade. How did this art feel transitioning to this title? It felt like when a parent bakes a nice welcoming pie for you when you visit home. It was very comforting because it's an art style that I actually really enjoy. I like that, especially like Black Knight, it felt very of the times of like very medieval and fantastical of like what we should expect out of a Black Knight of a hero who looks like he stepped out of the medieval times, the Dark Ages, if you will. And (laughs) here it feels like it really does add to the narrative of which I would love to affectionately call this book as Spider-Man Turn Out the Light. (laughs) But, uh, you know, six people are going to get hurt on stage from this. I was going to say, just speaking of Tom Taylor, another book that he wrote on DC too, is Suicide Squad. It ended, it, it only had like, I think 12 issues or something, um, but it was really well written. And that's the, it's the only Suicide Squad I was really ever tempted to really read. And it was, had a lot of like LGBTQ plus representation in it and had a lot of character growth. And it was actually really like, I, I wouldn't suggest another Suicide Squad book, no shade to anybody else, but that one was really good. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> now, there is no better place to start with this amazing story than at the very beginning. Now, okay, I I need to go back a little bit because this book kind of goes back a little bit, right? Those of you might not remember, but this book was first teased in the free comic book day issue that teased 10 of swords, 
This book is 18 months overdue. And judging from some of the continuity, it might be a little bit more overdue than that. Now, I don't mind the sort of sliding continuity scale that we need to use to rectify Xavier at the mansion with what looks like teen Jean. Maybe it's just Jean having a real good skin day. But, but she was wearing her dress. So like, I think she, I think it's supposed to be like Krakoan dress wearing Jean. But like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm really fascinated by it. But sort of, I think the inconsistencies bothered me for a second. And then they didn't bother me anymore. I think because I was so able able to surrender to the whatever the fuck it's an AU. How did you guys feel about the transition from so because like Tom Taylor, yeah, I know he's known for his AU, but like I go to Tom Taylor for like really powerful character stuff. Like I go to him to see him transform my favorite characters in dynamic new ways that I've never imagined. And you know, the AU threw me for a second, but I got over it. How did you guys feel about the AU of it all? Sort of like the where this has to slidingly go in canon. I enjoyed it, honestly. Like it it kind of felt like, oh, this is my comfort zone. This this is going back to a place of comics that I really enjoyed. I really, especially with Peter Parker, I really love adult Peter Parker because he's been just shoehold as a teenager for forever. And seeing an adult mature Peter Parker with his little girl, like my whole heart, guys, my whole heart. And seeing like Xavier and Jean, like where they were pre-Cocoa, it was, it kind of felt to me that it was kind of giving a safe space for people that aren't up to date with the X-Men. Because there are a lot of people that read Marvel that aren't up to date with X-Men because X-Men can be a little overwhelming sometimes. So it was something that was familiar. And so I was okay with it. So, yeah. I was doing that whole thing, juggling what, where is this universe supposed to fit in? Where was like, what's going on? Like, who's going on? Where's going on? But the second we got to Peter Parker's family, I was like, oh my God, him and MJ are married and they have me. I was like oh my god this is like so perfect I love it like I don't even care about anything else just give me more of this fucking shit like ah so good and and we get ghost spider and we get miles like it's it's so because I love spider girl from the mc2 universe that's like one of my happy places that you know j2 mc2 uh you know spider girl dark devil the buzz fantastic five that whole line was what transitioned me into comic books from the tv shows so I really love anything that involves Mayday Parker. I love anything that involves another female spider hero. I think that's so important. And, you know, getting to see her on the same page as Ghost Spider and Miles, it was just like, yes, this is what I want. Oh my God, yeah, it's so good. Now, Jonah, you are both our kind of spider boy. And as one of the resident youngins on the show over there with Rod, I know you gravitate hard toward the younger side of Marvel. So you must have been real pleased to see Loon. Oh, oh, let me tell you how much I love Moon Girl. Moon Girl is the most amazing thing in the entire world, and I had to clap the entire time. Moon Girl is a character that I think everybody should A, know about, B, be in love with, because she's like... Everything that Moon Girl represents is utter perfection. And now more than ever, I think she should be at the forefront of comics. Uh, because she literally is, I think, one of the most important characters to be in the 616 universe. And the fact that she's not known by everybody, I think, is a travesty and a crime. And I, I, she's just a character that I, I, I love so much because I just, 
I always can't put it into words, but it's she's just so good. She's just so good. I definitely have to agree with you, Jonah. I mean, I was so excited when we got the preview pages of this book where it came out, and it was like, oh, Moon Girl, this one of the smartest or the smartest person in the you know on Earth is gonna go talk to the other smartest person, Reed Richards. And I was like, yay, Tom Taylor, remember Moon Girl? Because <laughs> people forget about her. Like she <laughs> has been mentioned recently, I think at the start of the Fantastic Four run a little bit, like by Dan Slott. But other than that she's nowhere and fortunately she's getting a uh, another solo next year so i don't we don't know who the creative team is i'm like, super excited to find out but yeah i was so excited and to see her and i didn't care about the au either i honestly think tom i love tom taylor's au stories because like nico said he does develop these characters so well like emotionally and story-wise that if he is given an au story he can do whatever the hell he wants so i'm so happy with this like i didn't want him to i want him to get like a current like something in continuity and continuity thank you i would love them to get something else in continuity especially in the x-men team but if he can do an au story and have this be like five to six issues and maybe even make it another like game or something for marvel that'd be fantastic like injustice i'm i'm all for it so you know there weren't just amazing surprises of of the moon girl variety we also have apocalypse now okay this is maybe my ding if you know if we're talking dings if if everything gotta have a ding right if if we all have our clunk and our ding this is please tom don't be mad i know you're watching (laughs) so i just didn't get this apocalypse this was like ensaban no it's ensaban nah that's what this was this was ensaban nah how did you guys feel about what felt kind of like a a very different take on apocalypse from hoxpox daddy we've become very accustomed to well i would say this was the original apocalypse how he was before and this is supposed to be like before krokoa because i don't think he wanted to have like probably Krokoa in this AU because it's really complicated. Like it's too complicated to have an AU. It just is. <laughs> and and I, I I mean, I feel like he had to, you know, make a villain since they were probably going to stop the robot. And since they stopped the robot, that's what caused the Dark Ages. You're like, well, who else can be the villain that's going to cause all this destruction? Like, oh, Apocalypse will take advantage of this. And I thought that was cool because <laughs> I feel like a lot of AU writers even forget about Apocalypse when they do Marvel. They're like, oh, well, Doom will do this or, you know, uh, Dormammu will do this, but they don't like Apocalypse is there. Wow, so it's Dormammu or Doom or <laughs> you can just keep coming up with like bad guys with does. Right. Apocalypse is a very different bad guy. Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Densabonur <laughs> is my new favorite character. Oh <laughs> Okay, so I had a different reaction with this. Like, I there's one plot point that we'll talk about later. I'm sure that was my like ding for the story, but I loved this reveal at the end. It's 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 hard to describe. I love the Krakoan era, but I love this little throwback to what it was before. Like, Apoc- of course, Apocalypse was going to come out, come and try to take over everything, and of course, he was going to make some you know horsemen or six, not four, but like six horsemen of the apocalypse. I loved the diverse of the horsemen being characters that we don't usually go for as apocalypse horsemen so you know just to have i'm I'm assuming is that jen or is that amadeus because i think it's jen that's okay so jen beast i'm assuming that's iron man in like a sunfire aoa type suit venom reed richards and lady deathstrike is a horseman team that is absolutely phenomenal to me like i can see how 
most of those characters in a world without tech would try to do something and go over to that dark side like Tony Stark Reed Richards and Beast particularly make so much sense in a world without tech especially because Reed Richards best friend just got killed in it so like there's so much that makes sense you know Jen okay fine I, I'd, have, I'd have to see the rationale to see why she joined I actually do think it might be Amadeus because then it's all kind of geniuses okay that would make I'm sense. not I'm not convinced it's Lady Deathstrike it okay could be anybody given claws because you know could be. I also can't figure out if that's Venom. So that's okay, cool. that's Miles with the. But that's with what the I venom. thought. Yeah, it's my yeah, yeah. It's our, that's already been shown. It's Miles with the Venom symbiote. So yeah. this is a really interesting lineup, and I I do also love this crazy Horseman of the Apocalypse reveal at the end. I'm fascinated by the number six, but I'm into it. It's maybe <laughs> a really big apocalypse, you know. <sighs> what, if moon girl, what if that's Moon Girl with Claude? I thought it was Shuri because it's darker skin tone. It could be, and okay, the, bl- the blue that. and the purple. That's like her outfit. So I thought that was Shuri. Okay. Good, 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 good. For Shuri. I'm with it. Right. (laughs) Now, Evelyn, I'm curious. You are someone who, when the whole apocalypse thing happened last year, you were, you maybe, I mean, you were all for Krakoa, but you were like, earn my trust, new apocalypse. And you had a lot of, he could do this at any moment feels. How do you feel about seeing it, but seeing it so self-contained? I'm actually like beyond excited for this because I have always, like to quote Emma, where were you when our babies burned? And it's like seeing the complicated X-Men interact with the rest of the world is always something I enjoy. And so I'm actually more excited I really like Dark Apocalypse. I love Dark Apocalypse so much. And seeing him interact with the wider Marvel universe, as well as this, like, dark, no technology, like, how is that going to happen? I'm beyond excited, honestly, because... I just, I enjoy a messy bitch and like, he's got a team of them. (laughs) And we love him sloppy here. We sure do. Now, Mm -hmm. Jonah, speaking of sloppy, how do you feel about seeing Apocalypse in sort of the one capacity you've never seen him? We stopped reading X-Men before he was introduced when we did old stuff. And then we started new stuff at Hoxpox. So you've never had, you know, you've just only ever had, hey guys, it's me Apocalypse. So, like, how do you feel about, I mean, don't make that face. You know, that's what he sounds like. So how did you feel about- <laughs> That's a grill. Uh, He's like, this meat is the survival of the fittest. I also just realized Wanda dies in this book as well. That just hit me. Yep. Girl can't stop dying. So, can't. Jonah, how do you feel about this return to classic APOC? Sort of APOC classic, if you will. Viz, I don't feel so good. Anyway- so this is where I was really confused because I don't always know er- exactly everything going into a title. I'm told, Jonah, you're going to read this and you're going to be on that. We're going to talk about it this time. And I'm like, okay, cool work. So then I'm on this book and I'm like, wait, okay, everything seems normal so far. And we get to Apocalypse and I'm like, isn't he not banging his wife on a Rocco? Like talking about his seed with his kid. Like, isn't he playing father right now? And it's like, oh no, this is, this is an AU. No, no, no. We have to worry about that. So we don't know about a Rocco. Rocco doesn't exist here as far as I'm concerned. We don't know where that is so i was like okay cool so he clearly has an evil plan and i knew when the hoxpox era was introduced and it's like everybody's getting redeemed and we saw a lot of the big the bigger x-men villains like sinister magneto and apocalypse be redeemed and saying any crimes before that we're not worrying about them right now we got bigger fish to fry 
uh, Apocalypse and Sinister were the two people that I think a lot of people had the thoughts of. They're up to something, especially if they're given amnesty. And Apocalypse is just trying to go home to his family to see his seat again. And Sinister's clearly been up to a lot more evil shit. So I actually am a little bit more excited to see Apocalypse in a more evil capacity. Because I think Apocalypse was kind of just doing whatever Apocalypse wanted. It wasn't necessarily evil. He was just kind of, eh, I'm interested in magic now. <laughs> We're going to go through it. Uh, I may or may not now. have used, I may or not or may not have used your body as a door rogue, but you lived. So does it matter? <laughs> but did you die? And that was like the epitome of what Apocalypse was going through. So here to see him assemble this team to, <laughs> in when everything is turned dark, I am really fascinated fascinated to be like to see okay what kind of evil is this apocalypse going to be and you know i think we're looking at a really interesting story because i love that tom taylor said look if i'm going to do this i'm going to do it right i'm going to pull characters from everywhere it's interesting that he killed dr strange and wanda right off the bat good move it's you know if you want to do an au and you don't want to have people constantly saying well they could have done this this person could have done that you have to take them off the board doesn't even matter that apocalypse has magic because apocalypse is still more mutant than magic to the greater colloquial understanding and for all of reed's brains for all of hank's brains they need technology to do what they do. They're so reliant on technology to do what they do. This gives us an opportunity to explore the weaknesses of our characters in a way that's going to help us understand what's going on in the Marvel Universe proper without having to do it to them there, right? And I'm curious to know, how did you guys, because I, I sort of think we all accept the end of the universe situation. Universe is end, big bad guys, bad, bad robot. How did you guys feel about the conceit that this robot was in Earth all along when we just did the Eternals and the next host. Like, we just did this. So, Nathan, you seem to have a lot of feels stored up right in that smile. You, you got a lot of feels right there, bro. So, yeah, this this was the one plot point that sort of dung it for me a little bit. Like, it's something that we've seen so many times before that a Celestial is in the Earth going to, even going back all the way to Universe X. Like, it's been there and it's been done before. And, like, just it as a conceit to start this alternate reality maybe wasn't my favorite. It wasn't an original pitch for me. Like, I like the way the universe seems that it's going to go. I like everything else about the story. I just didn't like that conceit being the conceit that started it all off. It just seemed a little like, oh, okay, cool. This is something that we've done a few times. So this makes sense to everybody. <laughs> no, I agree. This was my ding as well. I would I would say this was technically kind of my ding as well. But it, it was technically like a, a little small ding for me because even with, to bring it back to other Tom Taylor AUs, even with Deceased, the ding for me was the zombie thing because I feel like we've seen the zombies so long. Long, I mean, we're like used for so much that plot point but like we've seen we've seen evil robots <laughs> like in the plot points for so long but i like it because he uses that you know stereotypical plot point to push us somewhere further like the robot isn't even the main thing like it, it, it is because it started it but the main thing is that they dr strange had to use it to turn off all the lights and i was like oh cool because i didn't know i knew like the lights were gonna turn off we all knew that was gonna happen it's called darkness it was previewed <laughs> to us that but i was like it was How either is gonna, gonna be a happen? sweet dream or a beautiful nightmare turn the lights off 
<laughs> I'm just oh glad the God. sun didn't go out for this one. I was like, when they, when they announced this, I was like, oh, is this going to be like the DC like final night or whatever? And then I was like, oh, thank God, this is the sun. It's not the sun. I thought Wait, it was going to be the sun. Yeah. Did somebody say the lights turned out? Hold on. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, who turned out the lights? <laughs> Dr. Strange was like, I've been to Broadway once. <laughs> I'm just trying to rock at AM to PM. I didn't read the preview, so I legit was just like, Marvel in the Dark Ages. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not disappointed that it wasn't that <laughs> but that's honestly where i thought it was because i was just too lazy <laughs> but like with the machine and the earth like literally i read it and i just went oh fucking course like out loud and my mom's like what <laughs> i'm just like it's another robot killing the earth and she's like okay <laughs> it's just like that's just the reaction that i had but i'm glad that it's not like that's not the story i'm glad the story is not oh we need to defeat this robot blah, 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 blah. it's no it's the aftermath and that's something that i think as assuming the rest of it goes well because of tom taylor i think that will redeem it is the fact that it's like we didn't spend too much time on it and something that i've always liked in comics is show don't tell and so it showed us what happened instead of just being like well scarlet witch and dr strange sacrificed themselves for blah 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 blah, blah. so it was just it was nice to kind of see that and then as someone who's a big uh wandavision fan um my entire heart broke uh during that wandavision scene like like i'll i will i yeah it (laughs) that part was a lot and then i do want to bring up like one of my favorite lines though is i love when they were talking about like like who's on the team because like they all have these skills and then it's like the thing just in case (laughs) it solves itself by punching it really really hard or something along those lines and i i laughed out loud i really did i i enjoyed that and that's something i enjoy about tom taylor is even in these serious moments he's able to get that comedy in Uh and you know actually i think that's one of the best things about this book one of the moments that i thought was most exquisitely done was mayday saving the day because i mean i understand it wasn't like laugh out loud funny nobody was like oh my god this guy's so good another drink (laughs) right but you know her just being like "Ah!" and you know mj being like right like you know first of all i assume she sounds you know shackle fucked because she just had a building fall on her and the fact that the baby is you know overhead pressing the same kind of way peter did in the collapsed sewer there's a really beautiful synergy there the only thing i do need to point out is if you are reading the digital version it's on page 28 look i understand that it's about to be emp everywhere but the hardest part of aunt may's day is still that she looks like that <laughs> this looks like age of apocalypse aunt may though like i, I could didn't even lie like you know like she looks like a horse in a wig she does are we sure that's aunt may are we like i feel worse if it's random old person i'm verbally assassinating so i sure hope it's why do i hope it's aunt may what did aunt may ever do to me so, I uh, think it's a random really old bad. person. But, but <laughs> why would you draw a random old person that looks similar to Aunt May right next to uh, MJ and baby in Mayday? Like, we, you know, but again, you know, Ivan sold every moment of this book and served up the daddiest realness from Peter on page 29. Oh, oh yeah. He, oh. Like, please come here. Please be my, come be my new sub daddy. I love you. And <laughs> I will treat you so good, especially because I am obsessed with your 
pressurized steam webbers. Okay. Oh my god. These web shooters are so clever. There's such a small difference to what they look like. They're just a gauntlet, you know what I mean? But there's something so transformative about the gauntlet and the fact that Peter tells this whole story in a way that maybe feels a little bit like it could have been Uatu at first and then Uatu shows up. And then maybe it feels like it could have been like Doctor Strange, but then Doctor Strange dies. And then it feels maybe it could have been any number of steps, but it's Peter. And Peter maintains a lightheartedness that's really hard to emulate, right? It doesn't matter if Peter's 37. It doesn't matter if Peter's 82. I mean, you know, unless it's Kare Andrews and it's Peter, you know, at the end of his life and he's, they showed his penis in that book. And he's, you know, slumped over on the gravestone. You know, that's spectacular. And I love that. But that's like the one example I can come up with where Peter doesn't stand, you know, the spider stands for hope. You know what I mean? And Peter here brings a levity. And it's one of those things where like, I hate to use the the phrase, what a Watchmen moment. But like, what a fucking Watchmen moment. That Peter has this smile and the dialogue is, but years after the lights went out, after the end came the apocalypse. There's something about the smirk on his face, the way he delivers it. There's a sense of, but we haven't lost yet. He's telling us how dark everything is, but we haven't lost yet. And it's something that an artist can spend, you know, 30 years with a writer and hope to be able to accomplish. And the writer can spend 30 years with the artist and hope to be able to communicate a sense of hope without ever directly stating we're going to be okay. And I just feel like that was the power of this issue. There was a lot of foregone conclusion and expectation where we're kind of like, yeah, we know it's going to be the dark days. (laughs) But like, I got a whole lot more than Marvel heroes doing IRL Animal Crossing. You know what I mean? I got Marvel heroes surviving, but that's all I know so far. And that's what Mm -hmm. I'm excited about. Guys, what are you most looking forward to from subsequent issues of this? I know that team has me the most excited. I want to know who they are. I want to know who each of them is. And, you know, if we found out that that Hulk could Hulk out into all of the other Hulks too, you know, Peter David Hulk style, I'm in. What are you guys most looking forward to from subsequent issues of Dark Ages, provided they come out? <laughs> provided they come <laughs> they better, out. They better come out. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed the beginning with Jessica and Luke Cage and Danny with Mayday, MJ and, Park, and Peter Parker. So I want more of that. Like, I hope he's talking to Mayday and Danny and like I don't know why they wouldn't know already know the history because they grew up in it but I want them to like survive and grow up since they're like friends and hanging out and I want to see you know Peter uh, Luke Cage and Jessica and like some other like you know maybe city heroes you know help defend the world from apocalypse people and I just want to see all of that I want to see also more heroes that we would see that would help like Monica and Blue Marvel and like where are they because yeah they deal with technology too but they're also just healthy <laughs> OP as hell, so they'd be really good to go against Apocalypse and stop them. And apparently, he, they do get stopped because Peter's hopeful, like you said. So I'm excited to see that, hopefully. <laughs> My thing that I'm the most excited about, because y'all know that I'm a slut for family time, and, like, Peter Parker and Mayday being heroes in the same universe, I want to see mentor Peter with his daughter. Like, that's just, that's all I want in life, <laughs> or at least at this moment. So, that to me, I think is going to be incredible. But I agree, I want to see some other 
other heroes. I want to see some heroes that we don't see often in crossovers and big events. Um, see them take a bigger role. I really appreciated how they brought in the runaways and the champions a little bit. And we saw some other heroes uh, helping out around the cities trying to help. So I am just, I'm excited to see those that we don't see often. You know, I And love, I really hope that we see them. I love that you brought those things up, both of you, Rod. You know, you're somebody who is not the biggest Peter MJ shipper. So for you to be positive on it means Tom Taylor did a great job. And the fact that you're both, you know, both Rod and Evelyn, you're both calling for, I want to see heroes that I don't normally see is a testament to the open world atmosphere that Tom Taylor is able to create where you feel like your favorite characters belong there, where there's a sense of excitement for the possibility of newness. And I think that really speaks to why you're both such big fans of Tom Taylor in general, that I knew we had to cover this. This isn't X-Men and it's not Marvel Universe proper, but like we all love Tom Taylor way too much. And I just tell Jonah what to read. So Nathan, (laughs) I'm curious about how you felt about this issue, because if anything read like mid eighties, cool on Gath, goody goodness, it was this. And I just kept reading it going, Nathan's going to compare this to cool on Gath, but there's none of that awesome (laughs) Celine in bondage gear. There there isn't, there isn't um, like Evelyn is a slut for family time. Like, I thought comics. you were just calling Evelyn a slut for a second. I was well, like, I mean... I'm stopping this recording. <laughs> no, just said it. Okay, come on. I am a slut for AUs. Like, AUs. Like, oh, same. Like, you know, like, put them in my veins. Like, oh, like, give me some, like, yes juice. I, I love everything about this so far. I love that whole battle scene where, like, Sue was, like, the one survivor from it. I, it reminded me so much of, and it, it's something that we didn't get to see. It was, like, one of those, uh, the X-Men Millennia Visions, where they talked about the big Sentinel battle. Boom Boom was the one survivor and Thor was supposed to be the one who survived that big Sentinel battle and he sacrificed himself to save uh, Boom Boom at the time. So like that really like reminded me of like an odd like kind of like, oh my god, is that like a nod to that kind of thing? Sort of. I love the subtle daddy upgrade for Peter Parker's outfit. Like, like everything was working, but like just the outfit itself, there were such subtle upgrades, like from the way the boots were kind of like stitched together to obviously the steampunk web shooters to like... And I feel like the boots indicate that his calves have got bigger. Like, I'm not trying to be silly, but if we're in a world where technology is at a standstill, they would have trouble mass producing new costumes. So they would need to be protective of their older unstable polymers and unstable molecules so instead of destroying the costume it would be easier to make room for his growth than to make a new unstable molecule costume so that's a great point i hadn't even noticed that detail and there's just so many things i want to see in this world like you've got so many heroes like you take dagger like she did in secret empire or or dazzler or mini or monica in heroes that could help create light at dark so that the humanity could have a place to stay and feel safe at night with no electricity like there's just so many things i'm really fascinated to see how these heroes were able to help enrich in the lives of just the normal humans that we don't normally get to see and that's what i'm really really super excited for and And, you know it's those heroes that we don't really normally get to see that jonah i was excited for you to get to interact with a number of these heroes because this is one of those opportunities where i can give you 10 characters i want you to know more about all at once so i guess i'm trying to cliffs 
notes you through the Marvel Universe as quickly as it can. And one of the things I loved about this book was that it gave you the opportunity to play with your precious Peter, because I do know that you love Spider-Man. And that's, you know, that's important. The fandom that, I mean, he's not even in this book, but we did a Marvel Universe general book. So I came as Daredevil. You know what I mean? Like who you love, who brought you to comics always gets to be who brought you to comics. And Spider-Man was someone that really stood out to you at first. Was it ultimately rewarding reading a story about his continued you know, perseverance in the presence of an overwhelming darkness? Or are you just reading this? Because there's been a few times when I ask this question that you go, oh, I'm reading it. Uh, I'm not just reading this. Uh, <laughs> I So anytime this has been, you know, another foray of me into an AU universe. And my favorite thing about an AU universe is seeing how these characters that are already established react to this new situation that they normally wouldn't be able to react to. How So the situation being, how do the Marvel heroes react to, or and villains, react to no technology in the slightest? Or let me phrase that, no electrical technology in the slightest. So it's really fascinating to see how characters that were present already that haven't died, characters that we haven't seen react, and how characters will come to react, or who rises to power in a situation like this. Peter, I think, makes for a really great narrator. Peter is a very reliable narrator, and even though he might give a more positive spin as we saw his reaction to things and how he is telling the story, he always tells the truth in a way that he never really spares the details we need to we, that we need. He doesn't he doesn't spare any details to things and. I love seeing Peter be a narrator for a story like this. I think it works really well because he's a character that's been around for so long. And as weirdly young as he is, he really does deserve to be able to be in a situation of being mature, being able to have his own thoughts that are adultish and have his family and react to things that way. I really am excited to see how we continue the story through the lens of Peter. I feel very much the same. You know, he is like the new mutants. They're always going to be new. It's, you know, it's just what it is. They're, they're forever on the verge of adulthood, no matter how many times they become adults. And Peter is stuck in that same boat. And I'm just so excited because this wasn't just a fun book. It was a spirited book. And I feel like we had a lot of fun, not just examining the universe, but examining how the characters interacted in that universe. Was there anything else? Anybody else was like, no, I have to. This, this, my dark ages moment. I think if I had one bonus moment that really stood out to me, I felt really passionately about the Uatu appearance. I think it was meant to make us drop our jaws, but I feel like in a weird moment where synergy didn't help, because I'm seeing Uwatu so much on What If, this Uwatu appearance mm. just kind of maybe lacked the punch that it would have had if I hadn't seen him in a while. But, you know, I thought it was a lot of fun. May I file a grievance with the court? Oh, please. <laughs> Grieve, grieve. I hated it. That was my biggest thing was actually the watcher showing up because to me, it was so, it was just lame where he shows up and he's just like, this is what I've been watching for. Really? This is what you've been watching for. Earth again in dire straits again. This Why one time. So, like, <laughs> oh my God. Like Your giant like, head this one time. Yeah, exactly. He's just like, like, this is what I've been watching for. It's like, what? No. <laughs> like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> Like, it, it, it honestly, that part actually brought me out of the comic for a second. I'm just like, really? This is a, like, that was the moment I went, this is a little too heavy handed. Like, I was already like, this is a little heavy handed. And then he showed up. I'm like, a little too heavy handed. 
It's <laughs> like, I, I get it. The world's in trouble. I chalk okay. that up to what if, but I think I can really see your point there that it's like, it was just a little too much. Wow. I hadn't thought of it that way. I love that read. Yeah. yeah. It was very similar to Tuxedo Mask already coming in after the mission was already done. <laughs> He's like, yes, it was like Tuxedo Mask. There was a problem here. And everyone's like, we already figured out there was a problem. You didn't really need to tell us. <laughs> Everybody's Tuxedo Mask. But he threw a rose and he saved them all. Yeah. I, I actually, but you did nothing. Like, um, nicely disagree with you all. <laughs> I actually really liked the Awatu coming because it, it, it solidified it being like super serious for me, you know? And the fact that I feel like bringing Awatu was a good way to explain what the robot actually was because then how do you explain it? Like, who knows that information, you know? And like, so I was like, oh, cool. I like that. I like that he goes and then he can go away, you know? Because I don't really care about Awatu. I think he's kind of stupid. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the idea of him is stupid. I think the character is dumb. I don't think he's that smart <laughs> so even though he's supposed to know everything he's not the best of the watchers that is no, for sure he makes a lot of dumb choices and he keeps getting killed over and over again he doesn't but learn <laughs> now i need because we had in uh in this same episode in the strange academy segment robbie compared howard the duck to uatu <laughs> and now we've compared no i'm so sorry he compared not howard uatu. the duck to tuxedo, tuxedo mask, mask. Yes. and now we've compared uatu to tuxedo na- mask so now i need how Watu, the watchdog. Oh my gosh. I want Howard that. Howard the Duck with a giant head in the robe, looking all cool on the moon in a pond. No, but he's got to have a suit. <laughs> Howard the Duck has a suit and yeah. the robe. In the and robe. Leah Thompson. Howard the Duck would be a better watcher than um, a Watu. Yeah. So. Right. <laughs> can, can I be no. sciencey for a second? <laughs> Can ducks not breathe in space? Well, that. <laughs> so we haven't tested that yet, quite. But I'm going to hypothesize no. Okay. But no, science yeah. moment with Evelyn, uh, <laughs> as we do every time I'm on. Um, something about the Watchers that I always really loved was this scientific theory that just by watching an experiment, you affect and change the results. There's like, that's just, it's a phenomenon. It's a thing. And that's how I always envisioned the Watchers by like that. That's how they interacted with the world was by watching and observing. And because it observed like what was happening, it could potentially change it. Maybe not for the best, but maybe not for the worst either. And so that was something I was always really into. So having him like Owatu just suddenly show up and she's like, this is what I've been watching for. This is my entire purpose. Like that again was kind of brought me out of it. But I do agree it was a good, uh, it was good for describing what was going on. And I, I again, love Tom Taylor and I get that he was trying to make this a very serious thing that way we can understand just how serious the threat was which explains why Doctor Strange had to do what he did which resulted in what's going on that way we can move forward and see how they again I love seeing it's like the aftermath like how are they going to work afterwards and so like hearing your guys's perspective it does bring me around a little bit but it really challenges the way that I've been viewing the watch if that makes any sense. Yeah, there's a line in Angel season four where they say that everything that has ever happened to anyone involved with Jasmine was to lead up to Jasmine. So you're saying all of the prophecies ever on Buffy that brought Angel and Buffy together were because of Jasmine. So you're invalidating all the free will before that for one line. 
it really is one of those things that we say to be overdramatic, but you really need to think about what an overdramatic statement like that could mean when you say everything was for this moment. It really is a, a sentence that you think creates value, but I think in many ways you're right, it devalues. Yeah. I love That's, that examination. And I thought Watu was a multiversal version of himself. Like, so like I thought like 616 Watu was the same, like, I, like, or, or mm. because he sees all of the stuff. So like for him to say that one moment is like the most important thing. I'm like, kind of like what you were saying with like Buffy, like I'm like, oh, that just invalidates all those what ifs I used to love in the 80s. Like <laughs> if it was the most important thing, it would have been called Secret Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I think this proves that Awatu is not smart. Like <laughs> He's, you know, <laughs> come on. he's blue moon basic. Like, yeah, he he's just yeah. The rest of the watchers are the sailor scouts, and he's just tuxedo mask. Yeah, that's like, why they that's don't talk really to him what anymore. it is. That's why they outcasted him. They're like, you're not as smart as us, and you have to go sit over there and go His to Earth. Is so big because sit it's in the corner with, with the dummy hat. <laughs> he wears the dummy hat, the dummy cape. He wears like, the dummy hat in the class. They always thought he was more like Chibi Usa, like he was a little annoying, but he's kind of cute at times. And you're like, oh, is one time he sat next to Thanos on a plane and Thanos told him he was pretty. <laughs> so, guys, that's been uh, Dark Ages. We want to thank you guys so much for coming out and being part of X's for Podcasts coverage of Dark Ages. We're going to continue covering this as we seem to cover every AU. We're doing this. We're doing Demon Days. We can't stop. I want to thank everybody for watching. And guys, until next time, this has been X's for Podcasts and we'll see you.